Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 22nd, 2023, including... Matt Booty has been on a press tour following Xbox's revitalizing showcase last week, and it comes with tons of news and stories for us to chew on. Embracer Group have finally run into serious financial trouble, not that we've been looking forward to it, but more that it's been inevitable. Microsoft runs into more roadblocks with the FTC over their Activision deal. Xbox Series X and Game Pass are both getting price increases and much, much more, including Titanfall 3. Let's get into it, baby. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, 13 years ago, Transformers War for Cybertron released for the Xbox 360. Very, very fitting. Now that was a uh, that was the first of the three Cybertron War whatever games. I don't know how people refer to that trilogy, but it was a uh, not Beanox. That was High Moon that made those games. War for Cybertron, something Rise of the Dark Spark was the third one. That's the one that Beanox didn't make. And then Fall of Cybertron was the second one. That was it. It was War for Cybertron, Fall of Cybertron, and then Rise of the Dark Spark. Now, those first two games, I remember them well. I remember War for Cybertron in particular had a... It, it was back in the era when Xbox 360 days would some, games would sometimes have those multiplayer demos. So it was like a free demo multiplayer you could just play basically the game with your friends on like a limited scope you know kind of like how what was that that star wars battlefront lord of the rings middle earth game had that what was that called i forgot the name of that game but yeah this was one of those demos like i remember people would exploit it because you could just play the fuck out of it and you didn't have to have the game if i remember correctly but i don't know how i played it if it was the demo or i rented it or what the case was but i do remember this game being quite good i know Cronky's always, always, always bitching and moaning about it. He, this, the reason he wants, the reason why he wants for the Activision deal to go through is so that uh, maybe one day Xbox can make all these games backwards compatible because they are lost to time. Very few uh, licensed games of this era actually were considered not shit. And Star, yeah, the Transformers War for Cybertron definitely one of the games that was considered not shit. Published by Activision, developed by High Moon Studios, of course, Activision, the owners and arbiters of Call of Duty and High Moon Studios. Just one of many, many, many developers who are stuck on permanent Call of Duty support uh, dev duty for the rest of forever, presumably. So, I don't know. I, I say fitting just because, obviously, you know, at the time of recording this, we're just, uh, what is it, two weeks removed from the release of the latest Transformers movie, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, which is now playing in theaters. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, what are you doing with your lives? I mean, come on, man. Uh, I I'm going through a weird Transformers phase again. That I haven't I haven't experienced this in maybe a decade, but feeling it right now. Transformers, good shit. I have that AMC Stubbs thing, so like all summer long, I just have like unlimited access to movies. Basically, I'm gonna get rid of it in, in about a month. It's just the summer's been so jam packed with really good movies. It's like everything that got delayed due to COVID the past couple of years is just all coming out this summer. So it's like I don't, there's like maybe I, I go to the movies once or twice a year on a on a regular year. But this summer alone, I think between like from April to August, it's probably like 15 movies 
I want to see. So I'm just like, fuck it. I'm getting this uh, AMC pass. And it's actually been a lot of fun. I basically spend like every every weekend, I'll pick one night and I'll basically just spend the whole night at the theaters and just watch a movie back to back to back. I'll watch like two movies in a row and then just, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, whatever. It's just, it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of fun. And I, as a result of it, just, you know, having no consequences to what movies I see, what format I watch and what's showing. Because normally I'm very frugal at the movies. I'm the kind of guy who like goes at 11 a.m. So you can buy the $9 ticket instead of the $15 ticket. And I don't spend money on popcorn. So that shit's a waste of money. So like, I'm not that guy usually. You know, I go to the theater twice a year for like a Marvel movie or something like that. And, you know, whatever, $8, $9 in and out. I'll see you next year. But this summer, you know, I'm just going fucking nuts because this AMC thing lets me watch 3D, lets me do Dolby, lets me do IMAX. I don't give a shit. I'll watch whatever movie in whatever format. And as a result of that, I've ended up watching Transformers twice already. I saw Spider-Man twice. I saw Transformers twice. I saw uh, Avatar twice. I don't. I'm going. I'm going nuts here, man. I'm thinking about seeing Transformers a third time because even though this one's not great. It's it's got probably the weakest human characters the franchise has ever had. Like these human characters really suck. Uh, the 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 seven minutes of action towards the end of the movie are pretty good, and uh, I really like the surprise twist at the end. So shout out to Transformer Transformers: Rise of the Beast. Not a great movie, but an enjoyable one for me at least. And shout out to Transformers: War for Cybertron, a great game that is now lost to time as it is not backwards compatible and both the developer and publisher of that game are uh, on the Call of Duty exclusivity train where they do nothing but Call of Duty. So probably never see that game again. But anyway, guys, let's get into the podcast. This is the Xbox podcast, not Transformers podcast. So let's, uh, yeah, let's do some Xbox on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's our first week since the Xbox showcase last Sunday. And I realized I made a bit of a mistake last week. I thought, you know, what I'll do is I'll put the show out a little early. The showcase was on Sunday. I was like, I'll put up Tuesday. So that way, you know, I get a day to marinate on all the news. Also a day to cover the Ubisoft and the Capcom news and all that shit. So we'll talk about all the showcases. And it kind of worked a little bit, except for last week, because the podcast went live on Tuesday instead of Thursday, that means there's been an extra gap in time since the last podcast. And since then, oh my God, there's been so much news. So what I should have done last week was just put out two episodes, one on Monday and one on Thursday. But uh, I guess lesson learned, maybe uh, I just, yeah, we're just, we have so much news to cover this week. There's just so much that's happened since the showcase. That's generally how these things go. Whenever there's a big showcase, it's like the, the weeks leading up to it are so like bone dry. And then obviously you get the big events. And then the weeks following that are just full of little update stories like this. This is happening now and this is happening. So we have not only that, but we just have big news outside of follow-up stories from last week's showcase. So there's just a lot to get into. So I'm going to try to keep the pace moving, keep it brisk. Don't linger on anything too long, which I've already failed at because we've been talking about Transformers for seven minutes, but hey, let's move right on into the notable game releases of the week, starting with Halo Infinite Season 4. Yes, it's out now, Season 4 of Halo Infinite, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, Jesse, Season 3 just came out. Well, yeah, that was about, what, three months ago? Yeah, for, for the first time, Halo Infinite has a regular season duration, so... I haven't played it yet. I thought I was going to play it last night, and then when I went to my Xbox, I'm like, are we done downloading this update? What was it, like a 6-gigabyte update for the new season? No, it, it was like a 54-gigabyte update to play uh, Season 4 of Halo Infinite. So it's like 10.30 at night. I'm like, I'm going to play a couple matches of uh, these new maps on Halo Infinite and see what's going on with Season 4. And uh, my Xbox is like 47% downloaded on the update. I'm like, fuck that. So I did not play Halo Infinite Season 4 yet, but I will probably be playing that... Thursday, Friday night. I can't wait to jump in just because I 
I love Halo. It's my favorite shit. I, I want Halo to be great. I want Halo to do well. I want more Halo, but obviously Halo has been in a little bit of a, a shit spot lately, and we haven't been talking about it because there's just more positive news to be had out there in the Xbox world. But it seems like so far, people are digging Season 4. It seems like it's bringing a lot of that content that, you know, people have been clamoring for, people have been expecting since the game came out at the end of 2021, but hey, better late than never. Um, and it comes with some disappointing news. There's that news this week that multiplayer seasonal cutscenes and story content for the seasons uh, is basically being cut from the game. So just more content, more story content from Halo that is just going to be left in limbo because I guess Xbox has zero fucks to give about about respecting the narrative of the Halo universe. So Halo 5, uh, unfinished story. Halo Infinite, unfinished story. And now Halo Infinite's multiplayer, also unfinished story. But hey, at least they'll probably squeeze out seven more fucking novels that no one will read this year. So there's that. And uh, so, yeah, season <laughs> season four, it brings uh, a lot of updates to Forge. It brings a new ranking system, which I've been very much uh, looking forward to. It brings some new maps that genuinely look unique and creative and not just like more of the uh same map we've seen a hundred times in this game so it looks like there's some really good content i'm excited to get into it definitely have some more to say about next week and uh so yeah halo 4 or sorry halo infinite season 4 god i wish halo 4 was coming out because then it would be 2012 and i would be uh much further away from death than i am now but that's not the case Aliens Dark Descent, speaking of things that could kill you, other notable game of the week, Aliens Dark Descent, it is out, as of the time of recording this, it's already out, optimized for Series S and X, smart delivery title, this is that, this is that Aliens top-down, uh, it's, is it RTS or is it a tactics game, I think it's an RTS, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, no, it's not, it's gotta be tactics, they don't do RTS anymore, I don't know, uh, I actually should have known going into this, but yeah, it's that new Aliens, top-down strategy game and it is out now and i don't know i feel like this game keeps kind of coming up in in circles like you keep seeing about it but like is anybody really like dying to play this i don't know it is published by focus entertainment and they seem to only get in game in bed with games that are excellent so maybe maybe it's good i don't know but aliens dark descent is out this week and then the third game of note that's out this week is crash team rumble for 30 dollars. this new crash multiplayer game uh, that is, of course, optimized for the new consoles and smart delivery. Uh, it's a new 4v4 team-based competition multiplayer game. They've been marketing this game kind of on and off, like heavily on and off throughout the past six months since it was announced at, I want to say, the Game Awards. And I don't know, man. I like Crash. Uh, obviously, I, you know, I'm nostalgic for Crash. I like Crash. But I don't know. This game just this seems like a flash in the pan. And it's kind of sad because... I love that Toys for Bob has been given an opportunity to do something other than Call of Duty, but I feel like their resources could have been better spent doing not this, so whatever. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully the game's great. We'll, we'll see, but Crash Team Rumble is out as of this week, so those are your notable games coming out this week. We do have we have a little bit of everything in every segment this week, by the way. We got Activision updates. We got corrections. We got it all, so with that said, let's get into our Activision updates on a normal week, these updates would be like main story, like news topics. But because this week is so jam packed, I kept them in the Activision update segment of the show because there's just that much more to talk about. So we got well, I guess it's three stories. One's a two parter, and one's a, a, a you know related story, but not not a directly related. So let's just let's just jump into it. So this is from the FTC, or this is not actually, this is from VGC. This is their most up-to-date information following some announcement from the FTC. So on June 12th, 2023, 
that evening, the FTC officially filed a complaint with the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California seeking to temporarily restrain or seeking a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction. Both the temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction are necessary because Microsoft and Activision have represented that they may consummate the proposed acquisition at any time, redacted, without any further notice to the commission. Quote, said the FTC. Continuing on, a preliminary injunction is necessary to maintain the status quo and prevent interim harm to competition during the uh, pendency of the FTC's administration processing uh, to determine whether the proposed or acquisition violates U.S. antitrust law. A temporary restraining order is necessary to maintain the status quo while the court decides whether to grant the requested preliminary injunction. Responding to the move, Microsoft President Brad Smith said in a statement, quote, today's action by the FTC file suit our Activision case to, to the federal court should accelerate the decision-making process, that, which benefits everyone. We have always preferred constructive and amicable paths with governments, but have confidence in our case and look forward to presenting it, end quote. Now, in December, the FTC announced plans to sue Microsoft in a bid to block the proposed deal, uh, which the regulator argues would enable the company to suppress comp competitors if they so choose, you know, with the, having a monopoly of the subscription gaming space, et cetera, et cetera. Now, following up later in the week on June 14, two days later, U.S. judge granted the request by the FTC to temporarily block Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The FTC request uh, was officially granted, and they said the following on the matter. Um, this is a Microsoft spokesperson who told VGC in regards to the matter. Quote, accelerating the legal process in the U.S. will ultimately bring more choice and competition to the gaming market. A temporary restraining order makes sense until we can receive a decision from the court, which is moving swiftly. So it seems like they're basically saying, like, we need to slow down the interaction between these two companies while we see if we want to if we want to block this deal or if we want to further scrutinize it but basically like the the limitations they're putting on it might accelerate the the process by which they have to go through this 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 evidence and these cases and kind of figure out what they want to do so it's a little bit of a good thing a little bit of a bad thing it seems like the ftc is really open to scrutinizing this deal to the fullest extent which is on paper, a good thing, but in terms of us wanting to spend the rest of our lives talking about this deal, a bad thing. But, you know, on the other hand, it's it's also just uh, a way to speed up the whole process because now there's kind of a time on it. You know, these are we're looking at Activision, which is a California-based company. Uh, we're talking about uh, U.S. courts here in the Northern California district. And they're probably thinking about, you know, the economy of their state and things like that. It's like, you don't want to hold up Activision too long. Also, you can't really effectively run Xbox and run Activision without there being a way for them to communicate and such. So this is just kind of in a way them be like, okay, real quick, we need to figure this out. Everyone pause for a minute. We'll figure out where we need to be on this situation. And then we'll find uh, an appropriate place to jump in and start kind of weighing in on what we think and which way we're going to govern. So it seems like, we're about to have a lot of quick movement regarding this story, which is excited and welcome because I gotta just want to. Because mm. if it, if this somehow gets to the FTC at the end of the day, I mean that's that's really it. Everything else will will find a way to resolve itself, but it's the FTC is like the main hurdle they're up against now. Because you know, no offense to England, but like the CMA, compare the FTC, it's like okay. If if you get the thumbs up from everyone but the CMA, it's like really, dude, we don't care. <laughs> so. That's uh yeah I mean this is we're getting close to a a judgment day that's gonna 
either punt this thing another year or or really give us a really firm idea of where this is ultimately going to head. And so I'm excited to finally, hopefully, get that that final acknowledgement so we can just be one step closer to not talking about this anymore. But the third story regarding this, the biggest update here, or the latest update here on the Activision Microsoft deal, is coming from VGC. And it says, well, actually, this isn't the biggest. In terms of what's more significant in the long run, it's the, it's the other story. But in terms of uh, what's going to be more salacious, it's this one right here, which is that the plaintiffs uh, in a consumer lawsuit seeking to block the Microsoft Activision deal have claimed to have evidence that Xbox is uh, in their intentions are to put Sony out of the market altogether. The private antitrust action, which was brought uh, by 10 video game players in the U.S., argued that the the acquisition could substantially lessen competition or create a monopoly in the violation of the Clayton Act. The lawsuit was initially dismissed back in March after a district judge, Jacqueline Scott Corley, found it failed to present sufficient evidence to support their claim. However, the plaintiffs later filed an amendment lawsuit containing redacted information from Microsoft, including a strategy memo and new information provided by Sony Interactive Entertainment. As spotted by Axios now, a key piece of the plaintiff's evidence is alleged to be an internal email that says, or that was sent by Microsoft's head of Xbox gaming, uh, Matt Booty, to Microsoft's chief financial officer, Tim Stewart, or Xbox's chief financial officer. The purported internal Microsoft email described as uncontroverted evidence that Microsoft had the intention to push its main competition, the PlayStation platform, out of the market, end quote. The passage is said to be from, quote, Exhibit K, one of the sealed documents that opposing lawyers have been debating. In the legal documents, Microsoft debates that that in the email, the internal exchange uh, that should remain sealed claims that there is no longer a bearing on the court's decision. Now, I feel like a lot of people are going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of YouTube videos kind of like just really taking this and running with it to the first extent. Here's the thing. We don't have all this redacted information, so it's hard for us to parse it and, and, and make an inference as to what you know, as to what Microsoft means or is trying to get across here. So it's just, he said, she said without that, without that redacted info. Now it, it stands to reason that as a comp, yeah, as a, as a, comp- a competing brand, Xbox, Microsoft, they, they probably want to beat PlayStation in terms of selling consoles and being a bigger name in the video game space and having a larger audience and selling more video games and having more subscribers and people playing on your platform and engaging your ecosystem like no doubt that's the you know walmart probably wants to beat all their competition mcdonald's wants to beat all their competition coke wants to beat all their competition that's how that works so it's very possible that the information here was just something to the effect some aggressive form of saying like Hey, this will make us really competitive and give us an upper hand and help us finally, you know, fight back against Sony, who have just been trouncing us for like basically tens of years at this point. So, I don't know is that is that what the evidence is, or is it really Matt Booty being like, eh, soon we will have all the Game Pass subscribers, and then we will implant a small hack inside every DualSense controller, which will cause a red ring of death-like attack form to come on the uh, PlayStation controller that has terrible battery life, which will then give polio to all who hold that device, meaning that everyone who buys Spider-Man this fall instead of Starfield will be stricken with polio, at which point we will take over the PlayStation brand, burn it to the ground, and rule the video game empire, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I don't know, like, is that what Matt Booty was saying? Like, I don't know. So I just, I feel like it's like... Microsoft and Xbox pro- probably want to be really competitive with Sony and probably want to give them a run for their money. Yeah. 
that's how it works when you run a competing brand uh, uh, when you run a business that's supposed to financially compete with people in in the similar market who fight for the same market you know segment fight for the same consumers so i mean yeah but i don't know i just find it interesting to think that matt booty's writing these emails behind the scenes where he's like i want to destroy <laughs> it's not enough for me to be competitive with playstation hell it's not even enough for me to sell more consoles than playstation i want to end playstation <laughs> like he just wants to like what what is what's he gonna do like get, knock microsoft's already like kind of in the door with uh some of these these weapons manufacturers like like lockheed martin and shit like that what are they gonna do like knock on their door and be like we need bombs so we can uh so we can fucking d- d- take out japan again yes it's world war ii all over again we're gonna take out japan uh we can't be too careful uh we know sony's not everywhere in the state of japan they're just you know they're just in one place i think they're in tokyo i don't know where they're from but let's just fucking bomb the whole country to be safe can't be too you know can't be too secure when it comes to these kinds of things like Listen, if that's Matt Booty's email, then we got a bigger problem on our hands. Microsoft's trying to bomb our Eastern allies, so that's that's a huge issue. But um, I I don't know. This is just it's um this small like gamers lawsuit thing that keeps popping up again and again and again. I just find it so it's so comical because it's like there's like a real thing going on here, and then these guys keep getting keep getting spotlight, keep getting attention, and now it seems like for the first time they've got some incriminating evidence, but they're not even allowed to really reveal that to anyone. Uh, because it's all just redacted information. So again, it's like supposedly they have an argument for the first time, but we just can't really make anything of it. So uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's move on from the Activision stuff because that's actually the least interesting stuff we have to talk about this week. And honestly, who who gives a shit? So let's talk about our one and only correction of the week, and then we can move into our stories of mild amusement. So for corrections, I'm very, very, very happy and excited to share this correction with you all couple weeks back during the PlayStation showcase, um, they revealed, yes, the Metal Gear Solid 3, Sigma, whatever remaster, whatever, Omega, Make, whatever it is. But they also announced, Konami also announced the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 1, which comes with basically a remastered version of Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, and 3 um, for PlayStation 5. But they were very cagey and dodgy and did not confirm that it was coming to Xbox. Well, we have good news. Because today, during a Nintendo Direct presentation that took place, Konami revealed that the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 1 is indeed heading to Xbox Series S and X, as well as Windows PC and Nintendo Switch, in addition to the previously confirmed PS5 release. So, this is very, very exciting news. We'll get to that in a second. Additionally, the publisher shared that players can expect the bundle to launch on October 24th, 2023, which is just a terrible time to release anything because there's already like 75 games coming out within those last couple weeks of October, but whatever, you do you. What makes this news really special and notable and why it's even worth you know really digging into here is because the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 1 includes a remaster of the first Metal Gear Solid, which, until this game comes out, has only ever been available on PlayStation hardware, with the exception of the Twin Twin Snakes remake in, like, 2001, 2002. That was, uh, you know, who was that? That was, uh, what what are they called? Silicon Knight? They they did a port of that game. Well, it was, like, a ground-up remake, actually, of that game when it was only a few years old for the Nintendo GameCube, so... That's a that's kind of an odd one-off one. You can't really even find that version of that game anymore. But historically, this uh, famously, infamously, Metal Gear Solid 1 has never been available on Xbox. When Metal Gear finally came to Xbox for the first time back in the late 360 era, they brought Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3, 
And then they did Metal Gear Solid Five when it came out on Xbox as well. But Xbox has never... Ha- oh, and they did Peace Walker, which was the PSP game. But Xbox has never had Metal Gear Solid 1 or Metal Gear Solid 4. So this is a huge deal because this is the first time Xbox fans will have access to Metal Gear Solid 1, which is great. I had to go bootleg that bullshit on a PS3 back in the day. And the game does not hold up well control-wise, but it is a really cool game. So it is finally going to be time for these xbox gamers to have access to such a important such a historically significant game in middle gear solid one and uh i do just for that alone i'm gonna pick this up just to support it because i'm so happy to see that finally these games this game will be available and also if we're gonna finally be in middle gear solid one on xbox then it stands to reason we'll probably get the other they'll do a volume two at some point right where they'll come with like I don't know, like Metal Gear Solid Rising and Peace Walker and Metal Gear Solid 4 and 5 and do like a Volume 2 collection. And that could be the first time Metal Gear Solid 4 ever comes to Xbox, which would also be fucking awesome because even worse than Metal Gear Solid 1, uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 has always been stranded on PS3. Uh, it only It came out on PS3 back in, what, 08, 09? I want to say 08. And it never came to another platform ever after that. So this would be a huge deal because not only have X, has, has Xbox never had access to that game, and it's so stupid thinking that Xbox players will be able to play Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, 3, and 5, but not 4. In addition to that, it'll, the game will finally be no longer stranded solely on the PS3, which is a console that Sony simply refuses to support with backwards compatibility. And uh, let's be honest, PS3 was awesome for the time, but it's a... It's like a lost to time console at this point. Like games that were on PS3 and never made it off of that platform are just impossible to play these days. So this would be really, really great for the preservation of that game alone. And since we're talking about it, I guess we should just mention this, right? Because uh, one of our stories of mild amusement is actually about Metal Gear Solid 4 on Xbox. It's just kind of a little throwaway. Uh, isn't this cool to know? Kind of a little factoid about something that happened long, long ago. But I say we just we just read it now. And, and since we're already talking about Metal Gear. Uh, from VGC, at one point during the development of Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots, it was running beautifully and smoothly on Xbox 360, according to a new report. That's acor- uh, according to the game's assistant producer, Ryan Payton, in fact, who shares the revelation in the Stephen L. Kent book, The Ultimate History of Video Games Volume 2. In an interview for the book, Payton claims that there was uh, no exclusivity deal to ensure that the game would only be on PS3 back in the day, but rather the decision was... The decision instead came down to the choice of disc format that Microsoft used on the 360. Payton says that at one point, Konami set up a team dedicated to seeing the game and if they could port it properly on the Xbox 360. Quote, despite how downtrodden my colleagues were with the developing of the PS3 version, most of them were still hardcore Sony fans and were not only in favor of were not in favor of spending resources on such a test, Payton explains in the book. They believed Metal Gear Solid 4 would look and run terribly on Microsoft's older and inferior hardware. One uh, fateful day, however, the Konami R&D team hosted a meeting where they got to see the future of their labor. Metal Gear Solid 4 was running beautifully and smoothly on the Xbox 360. According to Payton, although the port was possible and on technical level it was done, it wasn't practical on a physical level because PS3 games came on a BD, a Blu-ray disc, ROM, which could hold up to 54 gigabytes of storage, whereas Xbox 360 games held DVD ROMs, which could only hold about 8.3 gigabytes of data. Bringing Metal Gear Solid 4 to the Xbox 360 would have meant requiring putting the game on numerous discs, something Konami was just not willing to do. Now, of course, 
this is a side note after the story. We all know that there have been plenty of Xbox 360 games as well as PS3 and even PS4 games that have been released on multiple discs. That's right, Blu-ray games that have been released on multiple discs. So, uh, I mean, it's it's no surprise to anyone now, right? Because, I mean, we get games that are like 120 gigs these days. However, it's just so funny and quaint to think that back in like 08, a company like Konami was like, we refuse to put a game on multiple discs. It's like, why? Because only... Only Square Enix has ever done that with Final Fantasy up until this point in history, so they just didn't want to add to it or something. It just seems so silly that it's like, so this game was never, never, it never needed to be an exclusive on PlayStation Three. It was just because you didn't want to do multiple discs. That just seems so silly. Like, I'm pretty sure Final Fantasy Thirteen was multiple discs on the Xbox Three Sixty. Okay, it happened. It, you know, I played it on Three Sixty. It was a real thing. So I don't know. I just, I just find it so funny that that that's kind of the story, but. Hopefully, you know, with with this story coming to light and the news of the Volume 1 collection, we're finally getting MGS1 on Xbox. Maybe, just maybe, a Volume 2 collection is on the way in the next year or two. And with that, we will finally get to play Metal Gear Solid 4 on the Xbox consoles. And, uh, and mark my words, I, I played MGS1. I've embarrassed to admit I've never played MGS2, although I'm pretty sure it will be my favorite entry in the series. When I finally do, it's been on my list for many, many years. Uh, but... Man, I will I will just reset and play MGS one through four if they if they really do put I don't know if I'll play five. I really have no interest in five. But I will play Metal Gear Solid one, two, three, and four if they actually stick to their words and put all four of these games on Xbox. I just really don't want to invest in it if they're not going to uh give us the whole set. Although I, I do want to buy volume one just purely out of support for finally getting that game on Xbox. Just send send a message, you know. But anyway, that's it for our correction. I'm super, super excited to see that that's the case. Just too bad that's coming out October 24th because there's like 800 other games. Nintendo just announced a new Mario 2D game. What is it called? It's Super Mario Bros. uh, What's that called? Super Mario Bros. Diamonds or something? Wonder. Yeah, Mario Wonder. It's such a stupid name, but goddamn, that game looks so good. I'm like, on on top of like the seven Xbox games coming out around that time that I want to play, now there's a Switch game I want to play. There's just so much happening this fall. It's insane, but yeah. Shout out to Metal Gear and Konami for finally getting this fucking thing on Xbox. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm just happy for the franchise, happy for the Xbox community and for the you know preservation of this series that it will be uh, on the platform that most respects old games because PS5 don't even run PS3 games. What the hell, man? Although I guess we did start off the podcast this week talking about how there's an Xbox 360 game I like that I can't play on Xbox Series X. So <laughs> hypocrisy. All right. Let's move into the mildly amusing stories, you guys. Starting off, everything's from VGC. I don't know of any other website. My browser literally won't take me to another website. Microsoft has confirmed that they are no longer developing games that will run natively on the Xbox One. Speaking of preservation of games and moving on in a new time and place and all that, that is right, guys. Quote, We've moved on to Gen 9, Xbox Game Studios head Matt Booty said in an Axios interview referring to the Series X and S. That doesn't mean that Xbox is leaving the last generation behind, however. While there won't be native Xbox One versions of Series S and X games like Forza, uh, Xbox One players will be able to um, stream current generation first-party titles like the new Forza Motorsport through the Xbox Cloud Gaming uh, included with the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate on their Xbox One. So that's how we're going to maintain support, said Matt Booty. Now, spoiler alert, we're going to be quoting Matt Booty from Axios and a couple other outlets like crazy this episode because that's basically the run of the news. It's just all the shit Matt Booty's been saying because he's been on a press tour. 
going making the rounds ever since the uh, great reception to the Xbox showcase last week. So just heads up, we're going to see a lot of that. But yeah, this is this is our first little tidbit, which is that we're officially getting it. It's kind of it, dude. It's it's crazy. There's the passage of time. I remember exactly. This is like the craziest thing is I I don't know why I have such a very 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 crisp vivid memory of it being 2014 riding my motorcycle um, to the gas station and filling up with uh, my podcast. My motorcycle helmet had like a little Bluetooth speaker thing in it so I could listen to like, so I could take phone calls or listen to podcasts. And I just very vividly remember 2014 on that stupid fucking motorcycle I can't believe I ever even owned and um, filling up gas and listening to IGN Podcast Unlocked. And Ryan McCaffrey was like, well, that's it. They're officially ending support for the Xbox 360. And I just remember sitting there like pumping gas being like, Damn, man, end of an era. That's crazy. Well, at least we're focused solely on Xbox One starting now. It's all about the current gen. And I, I don't know. It's so fucking crazy to me because it's like the time period from when Xbox 360 was relevant to when they officially stopped supporting Xbox 360 during the Xbox One generation. I'm like, man, that must have been like 40 years because I went like Xbox 360 came out when I was like in sixth grade. So like I went from being a little kid to like a college student. So I don't know to think that we've gone from that same exact period of time now, but with the Xbox One to Xbox Series X. And I'm just like, holy, holy shit. I swear to God, that was like two and a half years ago, maybe. So this is one of those like make you feel old real fast kind of moments thinking about how Xbox One is officially old enough for us to be like, that's it. That's what, you know, we're not making games for Xbox One. That means going forward, like there there will be Xbox One games released still, no doubt about it. Of course, there'll still be like fucking Ubisoft making Just Dance and like some stupid sports games. I wouldn't be surprised if we still got another Call of Duty or, or two left in out of Activision, you know, while they're still putting it on old hardware like PS4 and Xbox One. But as far as first party is concerned, there is no more natively running Xbox game studios or Bethesda type games on the Xbox one, which is, I mean, it's not like shocking when you think about the fact that there really haven't been a lot of Xbox one games recently. I think really like halo, halo infinite was probably like the last one, but I don't know, man. It's just, it's kind of crazy to think that we're at the point now where it's like, yeah, if you have an Xbox one, it's like, what are you doing, man? You should be on the Xbox series S or X now. Like what, why are you still rocking an Xbox one? Of course, as he says, you can still stream, you know, if like, say Starfield comes out and you don't have an Xbox Series S, you can still, you know, stream Starfield to your Xbox One if you're a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber, of course, but who the fuck wants to do that? You want to run the game natively, so go get yourself, you know, 500 bucks is a lot, and depending on where you live, that price is about to get even more expensive, spoiler alert, so, you know, go get yourself a 299 Xbox Series S, you'll, uh, you'll be glad you did, it's a great little investment there, but... I don't know. I feel like we should do like a Viking funeral or something. Like I should do I I should go get my Xbox one that I actually still use like every day. I keep it in the bedroom to watch like YouTube at night (laughs) to like listen to jazz while I read. And, uh, I don't know. I feel like we should take like an Xbox one or something and wrap it in like a loincloth and then put it on a a little, uh, a little raft and do a Viking funeral. What do you guys think in a flaming arrow and shoot that motherfucker off into the sunset? I feel like it's, I'm not ready for it, but it's time. You know what I mean? So, Xbox One. I know it's an I know it's an audio only podcast, but if you if you could see right now, I got my uh, hand to my forehead. I'm saluting the Xbox One. You've done you've done me proud. You've done us all well and good. And listen, Xbox One. I understand you came out the gate stumbling super hard, and some there's some cringy quotes from those uh, early reveals. But you were a good console, goddammit. it. They just didn't understand you. I swear to God, Connect was good. 
uh, especially Connect 2.0. Connect 2.0 was actually really fucking good. Uh, I miss the snap feature every day. Shout out to Windows 8. If you didn't like Windows 8, it's because you're fucking stupid and everyone knows it. Uh, also, shout out to Halo 5 at Rock. Shout out to Quantum Break. Shout out to uh, Sunset Overdrive. And sh- Dude... And shout out to Sour Patch Kids, one of the one of the best, possibly the only good sour candy, gummy candy. Like shout out to those. But yeah, Xbox One, you will be missed. And uh, Matt Booty, keep that juicy booty detail coming because we got a lot more quotes from Mr. Booty. But not next because next we got a Todd Howard quote, and this is the perfect example of what I mean when I say I should have had a second episode last week because this by by this point this this little tidbit is so old, so we won't linger on it for long but we haven't talked about it on the show yet so we're, we're, we're gonna talk about it here so starfield game director todd howard has said that he's been playing the upcoming rpg starfield on his xbox series s with an in the letter s not x speaking with what's next for gaming at a what's next for gaming event howard revealed that the series s has become his most used xbox console although not entirely out of choice he says quote i got an x and an s when they both came out and he revealed that he assembled oh sorry Howard revealed, I put the X in the basement with the big 4K TV. My kids don't let me play it. They're always on it. So the S is upstairs, and that's and the, and the game looks great on it. Xbox Chief Phil Spencer then quipped, "We can see Todd. Is, uh, sorry, we can see where Todd is in the pecking order." <laughs> Corporate camaraderie. Howard then responded, "It looks great, but technically most of my Starfield time has been played on the Series S within my family." So that is a cute little uh, anecdote. I know a lot of the comments are like. What do you mean you can't afford another Xbox X? Todd Howard, you don't get paid enough money by Bethesda and Microsoft? Shut up, dipshit. It's a cute anecdote that makes him relatable because he's a family man, goddammit. And it also helps sell the Xbox Series S. It's a great anecdote. Do you think corporations don't love shit like this? Corporations love shit like this. It makes Todd Howard relatable. It makes him likable. And it also sells the Series S. It's a great fucking point. You're a loser if you don't get it. You know what? If you don't get this point, it's because you bought a PS4 at launch back in 2013. You never even gave the Xbox One a chance. And you missed out on Titanfall 1. And because of people like you, Titanfall 2 kind of flopped. Never mind EA fucking it over. That's a totally different story we'll also get into later in, this, in the show. Spoiler alert. You are the reason Titanfall failed. You are the reason we don't have a Titanfall 3. And you are the reason my parents got divorced. I hate you and I'll never forgive you. But back to the story. Todd Howard over here just being a charming little gentleman like he is. Charming little never aging gentleman for some fucking reason. I swear to God I've been seeing this guy at showcases for 15 years. And he looks like he's still 38 years old. I don't know what the hell's going on with this man. But anyway... All that just to say, Starfield is apparently looking and running great on the Xbox Series S, which personally I don't give a shit about because I'm going to play Starfield on both my S and my X because I'm going to be so invested in Starfield that when my girlfriend wants to use the main TV where the X is, no doubt I'm going to be moving over to my desk to play it on the S. So uh, doesn't matter either way. Here's the thing is I, I don't have anything else to add about this because this 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 little quip was a lot more of a relevant piece of information when everyone was up in arms about the 60, 30 FPS debate and this and that. And I got to be honest, man, I feel like there's no there's no place in the show notes really to, to have a proper discussion about it. But I'm so over that. And I feel like I need to maybe maybe this should have been the corrections, but I feel like I need to hold myself accountable a little bit for the way we were talking about Starfield and the way it performs and all that where I feel a little silly and a little goofy expecting so much out of Starfield in the first place when I was like, they got to figure the 60 FPS thing out. It's going to be such a big L for Microsoft. I'm not personally, you know, I I remember I kept saying that and like, they got to figure it out. They're going to get so much shit for it. Not even so much because I cared whether it was 30 or 60, but because I knew it was going to be a huge uh, blunder for them. But um, 
I actually think they've done a really great job of getting that message out. The way they did it was really well by like hiding it from the event and letting people just like focus on the game itself and then having a, a more controlled environment to speak about it immediately afterwards during an interview. So I actually think they did it quite well. And uh, the more and more I think about it, the more I'm like kind of embarrassed. I'm like, this makes me kind of seem even more inept than I already am because, yeah, I mean, when you look at a game like Starfield, it is insanely... It just advanced the fact that you know, like they keep showing the sandwich thing where they're like, oh yeah, I, I like to take the sandwiches and hoard them in my ship. It's like for a game to be advanced enough to just remember that shit indefinitely, like every time this person grabs a sandwich and throws it in this corner of their ship, the game just remembers and keep and caches that data and just and keeps it there indefinitely. Like that's that shit is intense. Like it's like stupid little things like that, and then just having a world where like you can fly this planet, kill this guy, and then you can go play the game for. 500 hours and then the next time you come back to that planet they're like hey i remember you you killed that guy fuck you we're scared of you or something like that like that shit's intense and that's the kind of stuff that makes this game boundary pushing and next gen and 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 these are like the things i just kind of overlooked because in my tiny brain i was like it's just skyrim again but with outer space now and i guess i just failed to like really acknowledge just how and I'm not trying to do like corporate PR cover up for this game. I'm not trying to be like a, a fanboy shill. I'm just I'm trying I'm just trying to speak honestly. Like clearly, uh, clearly, I just I overestimated the power of modern consoles. To be honest, because I mean a $500 box is only going to get you so much power, and I kind of underestimated just the technical prowess and, and and advancement that is Starfield. So. Um, if anything, it actually has me more excited for the game now because I'm like, man, for the game to be so intense and so technical and so next-gen and boundary-pushing that they just couldn't figure that 60 FPS, they just couldn't do a solid locked 60 FPS on, on console, like, that just means that this is a really intense game. And again, it's like we, we've seen so much 60 FPS up to this point because... You know, we've been supporting the Xbox One the whole way through. Everything's been about, like, well, the game's also got to run on Xbox One. But now we're not doing that. Now we're talking purely next-gen games, games built from the ground up to run on PS5, Xbox Series X, and really powerful PCs. And when you're designing games like that, you can really push the envelope far, far, far. And when you're making a massive open-world game that lets you do whatever, and the world constantly remembers that, even though you can go so far away from point A to point B, you know, it's like... Yeah, I mean, there's going to be technical sacrifices that have to be made to accommodate that game philosophy, that, that game design. And in this case, 60 FPS is one of those things. And honestly, I'm I'm at peace with it, mostly because, you know, Starfield is a game that seems like the, 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 the gold, the magic, the special sauce of the game isn't the look how buttery smooth the combat is. It's like 60 FPS, like Call of Duty. The, the, the magic, the secret sauce to the game is these kind of crazy experiences and stories and, and adventures you can have where it's like, yeah, I went to this world and I stole this guy's pants. And then the next time I went to that world, his wife was like, I won't even look at my husband anymore because you embarrassed him so much when you, when you took his pants. And then I'll be like, yeah, that's, that's, that's worth sacrificing 30 FPS, 30 additional FPS. I should say, um, I don't know if that's really something you could do in the game, but that'd be pretty fun, I think. But uh, anyway, I don't know. I just want to slip that in somewhere because I didn't really have an elegant place in the uh, in the podcast to put it. But I, I, I do feel like I had to walk that back a little bit because I was a little too, like, technically oblivious and, and just being like, they got to figure this out because everyone else does it. And so they got to do it. But it's uh, I'm glad it worked out for them because it seems like most people, you know, most rational people, of course, there's always those not legitimate troll people that live in basements on the Internet. But um seems like for the most part, people are pretty receptive and understanding to the situation. They really haven't let, or like, let the situation sour the, um, 
excitement and the hype for the game, which is great. I'm actually kind of surprised. Like, the energy out there right now at X, for Xbox, not at Xbox. I'm sure it's at Xbox as well. But the way people are just so hyped about Fable and Avowed and Starfield in particular and all these games, I'm like, there's some serious Xbox 360 energy going on right now with Xbox in the community. And it's it's contagious and it's and it's palpable and it's really it's really fun and exciting because like for as much as I love the Xbox One, I'm not stupid. I I know the Xbox One never had a moment where it felt like we're back. This is the heyday, this is the prime Xbox experience because you can always feel from start to finish, Xbox One always felt like a, a generation that was playing catch up. And this generation's always felt like it could be that generation where they're back on top, but just hasn't been there yet. What with the failure of Halo and the dry year they had last year and et cetera. But this year, now that seems like they're really getting back on track. They're, they're bouncing back from all the COVID delays. Starfield shaping up to be something super special. There's some like serious, like height of the Xbox 360 era, kind of like mid two thousands, mid to late two thousands kind of energy going on right now over at Xbox. And it's, it's very, very noticeable. People are like, we're, we're all looking forward to Starfield. In addition to that, no doubt. Um, we got this twenty tour sorry, twenty twenty four lineup that's just around the corner that looks phenomenal. And it's just man, if you're on Team Xbox, you were playing so many good shooters and Western RPGs and, and racing games and things like that. And serious, serious reason to be on Xbox for the first time and and what many would consider consider a very long time. So it's it's an exciting time and I think Starfield has a lot to do with it. And I'm just I hope they're able to keep this momentum and deliver on the games and really uh Really recapture that magic because I I want dude, I want that not not because I just want Xbox to make hand over fist money whatever I don't I only care about that to the extent of I want Xbox to do well enough to continue to exist so I can continue to enjoy the product but I, I don't know I, I want to just see people be able to have that like excitement and enjoyment and just blissful happiness because uh, at the end of the day believe it or not games are, are you know gaming is meant to be fun and enjoyable not uh, not something that people are constantly like heartbroken over ah they fucked it up again (laughs) you know redfall no not again so i just i don't know i'm excited to see people be excited i'm excited to see people be enthusiastic and energetic and just positive about about the outlook and the situation that is xbox and that will come with great games and it looks like that's what they have on the way so i'm happy about it all right let's circle back to matt booty because this matt booty can't stop shaking his juicy booty all over the the news outlets in fact we got two more booties back to back right now so let's get into one of them Xbox Game Studios Chief Matt Booty has said that both game players and games industry in general need to realize that the most big games now have development cycles that are around half a decade or more. In the same Axios interview as mentioned before, Booty said, I think the industry and the fans are a little bit behind the curve on what sort of on sort of a reset to understand that games aren't two or three years anymore, specifically referring to high-end big-budget games. Matt Booty added that now they're four or five, six years to develop. All right, let's stop there real quick. I just, I don't know. I feel like people who are, like, really in the know of games should already know this, but I guess maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe if you spend enough time on Twitter or something, you wouldn't know that people know this because people are just ridiculously stupid. I mean, I feel like every day people are just like, Ghost of Tsushima 2 when? And it's like, guys, the game came out like two years ago. Calm down. Um, but yeah, with rare exception, and it's been the case for a while now that, yeah, games take 
five, six years to make. That's just kind of the normal turnaround time. In fact, like we, we see it happen all the time now where it's like a game might take eight years, nine years to make, you know, in the case of certain developers. I mean, fucking look at look at Rocksteady with the, with the Justice League game. It's been like, it's been what, eight years since they put out a game? By the time Justice League comes out, it'll be nine years. It's like, it's insane. So yeah, games are really expensive to make. They're really technical and they're really time consuming. It isn't like back in the old days where you could have Halo 2 in 2004 and then three years later have Halo 3 and then two years later have Halo ODST and then one year later have Halo Reach and then two years later have Halo 4. It's like, that's whoa, those days are long gone. And I think it's been that way basically since, I'd say like the mid-Xbox One generation at least. So it's been it's been a decent amount of time where I feel like people should have noticed this by now. But yeah. Games are very cinematic. There's a lot of mo-capping. Uh, th- there's a lot more artistic discipline. There's a lot more attention to detail. Games are a lot more realistic now. The systems are a lot more intricate. There's a lot more AI stuff at play. There's a lot more gameplay mechanics. And every game has to be open world and intricate and things like that, which just add to the complexity. Um, and the bigger you make a game, the more room there is for error and for more testing that needs to be done. And all these things. So just games are games are big. They're expensive. They're complicated. They're complex. And they take time to cook. And I feel like people should already have a clear understanding of that. I mean, fucking look at Halo Infinite, although that's a little bit of a troubled uh, development cycle. So maybe that's not the best example. But yeah, I mean, it's that's just going to be how it is. That is part of why I'm so so hard on Xbox about when they announce games is because I, I know that. I come into this shit knowing that games take a long time now. Like on the on the lighter side, maybe you can get a game out in four years. Maybe. But on you know the average side, it's, it's about six years generally. I feel like I've, even five's kind of a little bit pushing it. So yeah, I, I'm used to that shit. But that's why it's like you don't announce your game the day that you ink the deal and say, hey, we're gonna do an Indiana Jones game because then we spend the next six years going, okay, where's that Indiana Jones game? Because I don't, you know, I don't, I just don't think it's a fun way to announce and reveal and lead up to games by announcing something six years in advance. I feel like it's more fun to be like, hey, here's a game we've been working on for four years. It's it's Indiana Jones, and we'll see you in two years when it's out. Like I feel like that's a lot more fun. So I just um I don't I don't know. My my personal issue isn't so much how long it takes to make games, although I do think we should try and explore the spectrum a little bit more and think about smaller scale, more intimate experiences because even though I I do love me some open world games and such like that, I I also love games that are a little more linear and simplistic and straightforward and I don't know, I'll take a seven hour kind of linear third person action game every now and then that only only took three years to make or something like that because those games are good too. But but yeah, I mean, obviously players need to set their expectations. This is kind of how it's already been for a while. I don't think he's saying anything that that hasn't already been picked up on or or knowable or or I guess observable for a while. But yes, uh, I just I just hope they also take into consideration with longer development times. I think means we need to maybe announce games a little closer to the release, just so that we're not spending six seven. I mean, God, that Avatar game, dude, that Avatar game that they just showed the other day it looks great. Glad it's coming out. I want to play it this year. It looks good. Um, I was like a where was I? I was I think a junior, a sophomore or a junior in college when they announced that game. You know, and I've been out of school for like four years now. So like, what the fuck? <laughs> like it, I, I trust me. I'm we we've seen enough of these games that take five, six, seven, eight years to 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 make. But like, 
I don't know. I just don't think necessarily the best way to go about it is to uh, announce them six years in advance. But whatever. Let's get let's continue on with Matt's booty talking to Axios. Uh, we're now on the topic of Redfall and the developer Arcane Austin. So in the Axios uh, interview, uh, Booty says that the studio will remain open following the disappointing launch of Redfall. That's the plan right now. They're hard at work on updates and continuing content for Redfall. Following several delays, the first major Xbox exclusive from Bethesda released last month with various technical issues, reviewed poorly, and garnered a Metacritic score of 56 on Xbox. Booty claimed that Redfall was getting good play on Game Pass, however, and that it it was a miss, but how much of a miss? I want to support them to be able to uh, keep working to deliver the game that they had in mind. I feel accountable that we could have done a better job with Arcane Booty added, echoing uh, recent comments from Phil Spencer when he was with Kind of Funny talking about him. So, so yeah, I've seen I've seen a couple things where like people are like calling for like, oh, are they going to shut down Arcane Austin? It's like that's the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Arcane Austin's only ever put out good games, and Redfall happened because they, as we already know from the reporting, they were pushed onto doing a multiplayer game. No one wanted to make it. 70% of their staff left the studio. They were forced to make Redfall anyway. And then Xbox bought them and was like, we're going to be hands-off and let you do your thing. And they're like, no, no, no. We want you to come in and, and interrupt our thing. We don't like this game. And then Xbox didn't do that. And then the game came out and kind of fucking flopped. So it seems like it's really Xbox and Bethesda's fault that Redfall is what it is. So I don't know why you punish the studio when there's such a clear and obvious reason as to why this really great team did something that was, by most people's accounts, considered less than good. Um, although I personally liked Redfall. I thought it was pretty decent. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this that's so silly. It's such a silly idea to even... I mean, now now if, if, if Arcane Austin can't put out a good game after Redfall or a good game after that. Like if they put out another stinker or two at following Redfall, then maybe we got a problem, but uh, you know, and maybe they really do. I don't know. Cause they lost a lot of staff. They hemorrhaged so much of their team during Redfall's development. So who knows if they'll be able to get maybe any of those guys back or, or build a new team. That's just as good, if not better that that's all other story. And that's a really disappointing and sad, you know, thing to learn about, but yeah, I mean, shutting him down over Redfall, that's so silly. And, yeah, I'm not surprised what Matt Booty's saying. He is a little vague about it. It's not like he gives numbers or anything. But it doesn't surprise me at all to see that Redfall is doing well on Game Pass because, you know, even if a game gets whatever scores, it's still like if the game looks pretty decent and you already subscribed to Game Pass, you might as well give it a try. I mean, how much mediocre, mediocre, mediocre garbage do people watch on Netflix just because they're bored and they already have Netflix? And why not? It's It's there. You know, so I feel like games like Redfall, as long as the there's like some nugget of an interesting game there and the game's not a total broken mess, it's like you can really I don't know, I feel like you can still get a decent success, but that now that shouldn't encourage you to put out bad games on your service, but I'm just trying to say, like, I'm not surprised that people are kinda into Redfall on Game Pass, despite, you know, what, what the diehard fans and the loud, you know, people in the industry are saying on online because Oh, it's a fun. It's a fun game. If you're not, if you're not expecting the world out of it, and you just download it one day and give it a go, I think you'll find Redfall's a pretty decent time. It's nothing immaculate, but it's it's a good, it's a decent game. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, we got a delay to speak about. You know, games that should have been delayed. Maybe um, Redfall, but uh, now we got another one. Immortals of Avium, first-person magic shooter from Ascendant Studios, published by EA, has been delayed by a month. 
previously releasing on July 20th. The game will now come out August 22nd. Uh, Ascendant CEO and game director Brent Robinson said that they delay the delay would give the studio additional time to optimize and fulfill the vision of the game. It's kind of a weird one just because they've been promoting that game so much recently um, and pushing that date so close to that date. That's like, oh, you're going to delay now? That's kind of weird. But, I mean, I guess we see stuff like that happen from time to time, so it's not... Too unheard of. It's just it's it's fine because I mean delay a game as much as you have to make sure the game is released in a good state. So they did the right thing, and this is overall a good a good bit of information here. Like it's it's good news, but it's also a little disappointing because, goddamn dude, I feel like so many publishers and developers leave that June and July window so wide open, and I was so excited to have something substantial and good looking to play in July. But man, like August twenty second. That's so close to Fall uh, or Starfield. Like I don't know, man. I don't think I'm gonna play this game at launch anymore because now I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I don't. I just don't have the time. August 22nd. I'm out of town at the end of August for a little bit, and then I come back, and then Starfield's there. And nope, I, I can't do it. So, Mortals of Avium, unfortunately, is getting pushed into my list of games. I'll I'll get to later, vaguely, but um, whatever. I mean, hopefully, it'll be a much much better game because they're delaying it, and hopefully, the game will still do very well because the game looks. Very, very cool, in my opinion. All right. Uh, we got two more stories of model amusement. Let's get these get to these real quick. Uh, so, same goes for Starfield, but I wrote down Forza Motorsport. But, yeah, this applies to both of them. So, again, another thing that was announced a while ago, but because of the nature of how we recorded last week, we're just getting to this now. Turn 10 Studios has detailed the various editions of Forza Motorsport, including a premium edition, which comes with the game five days early. So, if you, if you buy the game, it's premium edition, which is... Uh, $90 or no sorry $100 the deluxe editions so the premium is $100 and it comes with 5 day early access to the race day car and the race day car pack which is included with the deluxe edition whatever the fuck that comes with and uh, so yeah you can play the game on October 5th as opposed to October 10th which is the standard release date now Starfield's doing a similar thing where if you get the premium edition for that's $99 instead of $70 you get the game on um September 1st instead of September 6th. Only thing uh, I want to add to this, other than just like, oh, that's good to know, is, uh, I don't know, I assume Forza will do this also, but the way Starfield's handling it is, if you're a Game Pass subscriber and you're like, I want to play this game early, but I don't want to spend $70 on the game because I was planning on playing it through Game Pass, what they'll do is, you don't have to buy the game in order to get the five-day early access. You just pay the difference of the base game to the upgraded premium edition. So, for example, Game Pass includes the base $70 version of Starfield. If you um, pay $30, an additional $30, which would be like 70 plus 30, 100, um, they will let you access the game and get the premium edition content for Starfield because you're a Game Pass subscriber and you're going to get the game included in your subscription rather than buy it for 70 bucks. So, yes, Game Pass subscribers, you only got to pay $30 to upgrade and get that five-day early access on Starfield. I assume they're going to do something similar for Forza. I haven't checked yet, but I assume that that would be the case. Um, so it's a really nice thing they do because Xbox has been known for this um, five-day early access, one-week early access, three-day early access kind of thing they've been doing with like Gears 5 and Forza Horizon and all these games for a while now. So it's cool to see that they're going to have... Um, a way for Game Pass subscribers to not miss out or be punished, you know, for being a Game Pass subscriber because that's how that would kind of read if you if you weren't going to buy the game, you know, but you were subscribed to Game Pass. So I think it's really well handled. I know a lot of people have issue with this kind of 
incentive for pre-ordering and buying deluxe editions. But like I've said many times before, you can call me out for it, criticize me for it, but I, I basically have no issue with this this approach and this way of doing things. Publishers and developers need extra ways to make extra money because games are expensive as hell to make. And you know, you can either wait five days and not pay extra money, or you can play it five days early and make extra, you know, pay extra money. So. It's not like uh, when they do Call of Duty modes that are exclusive to PlayStation and Xbox fans just never get them, or like Hogwarts Legacy, where PlayStation players just get extra story content that we just never get. Like that—that's a different story. But five-day early access, whatever. You know, I don't care. Finally, VGC, uh, Microsoft have announced details on the next ID at Xbox Showcase and Summer Game Fest demo event. The latest indie showcase will take place on July 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Viewable on IGN and other social media platforms, the event promises to offer a first look at some new games, including trailers, gameplay reveals, and more. ID at Xbox's annual Summer Game Fest demo event is also returning next month from July 11th to the 17th. Players will be able to download and sample a number of upcoming Xbox Series S, X, and Xbox One titles. Last year's event for featured over 30 demos of unreleased indie games accessible via the Xbox dashboard. So get ready for some new announcements and sh- looks at some indie games on July 11th at uh, the ID at Xbox Showcase. So pretty cool. We'll uh, talk about that when it happens, but nothing really else to say. I don't just wanted to kind of put it earlier in the show because it is notable that it's another Xbox event, although it's all focused on like third-party indie-type games, but... Cool. We'll, we'll uh, definitely talk about that when the time comes. That's going to do for all of our opening stories, mild amusement, things like that. Told you, it's going to be a long week. we got a lot of shit to talk about. We're already an hour in, so we'll get into the big news in just a second, but we'll take a quick little three-minute break here and do the uh, what I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, you know what i got to do. i got to string you along and tell you all about what I've been eating. So, guys, picture this. I'm in Detroit, Michigan this weekend. Don't ask me why. It's just where I was. And, uh... You know, I'm in Detroit for the weekend, and I'm here, and it's like, why am I here? I could be at Disney World. Why am I here? I could be at home on my Xbox. But then it dawns on me. There's a reason why I came here, and sometimes the reason is greater than yourself. It's not about what you want or or what you have going on in your life. Sometimes it's about sacrificing your time to be there in support of someone else and to show someone that you care and that things going on in their lives matter to you as well. And so that's why I was in Detroit. And uh, the, the thing that I'm referring to that I'm being all cagey and vague about is, of course, Mountain Dew Live Wire. Yes, that's right. In, in, in the state of Michigan, they still sell Mountain Dew Live Wire. So this was a flavor that growing up I always thought was a Florida exclusive because growing up in Georgia, we did not have Mountain Dew Live Wire. For those who don't know, Live Wire is the orange flavor of Mountain Dew. It came out in the early 2000s. I always thought it was the Florida exclusive flavor because growing up in Georgia, you go to Florida a lot for like vacations, spring break, summer vacation, whatever. And uh, I could only ever find this Mountain Dew whenever we'd go on vacation. So to me, I always associated Florida vacation with I can get that orange flavored Mountain Dew. Well, fast forward to the day I moved to Florida. I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to live in the place where they sell the orange Mountain Dew. And about two months into living in Florida, Mountain Dew announces, hey, we're pulling back a couple of flavors out of the southeast. And we're going to make them like exclusive to like the Midwest and places like that because uh, Mountain Dew just doesn't really compete in areas that are more, um, I don't know how to put this, more culturally diverse, I guess, like city areas. So like northeast, southeast. West Coast, like California, Florida, New York, places like that, Atlanta. I guess these markets, there's just too much competition. And so they had to move into places that are basically wider. Because <laughs> I guess Mountain Dew is just like for a hillbilly white people with no teeth like me, apparently. So um, they pulled back a lot of flavors like Livewire, like my favorite flavor of all time, Whiteout. 
um, and et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, lo and behold, I moved to Florida to be closer to the Orange Mountain Dew, and then they took it away. So, so why? Let's get back on track. Why am I here in Michigan, in Detroit, Michigan? Well, because in Michigan they still sell Mountain Dew Livewire. So I pop into my local my local convenience store here in in Detroit, and they got Livewire, baby. It's on the shelf. It's there. I see it. They got a new label on it. It looks good. It looks refreshed for 2023. And so I grabbed me a bottle, and it tastes as sweet as cherry pie, even though it's orange flavor. So that's fucking weird. But it's good. And it's Mountain Dew Livewire, and it, it reminds me of, of, of my youth. And I drank it, and I loved it. And I said, you know what? For this, it was worth it to come all the way out to Detroit, Michigan. Shout out to Detroit. Shout out to Mountain Dew Livewire. And also, shout out to Ice Mountain, which is their local brand of water. So shout out to Mountain Dew and Detroit and mwah. That is it for what I've been eating. Now we will move on to what I've been playing. Shout, oh, yeah. Also, shout out to Mountain Dew Livewire because orange soda usually sucks, but Livewire is very good. It's the one orange soda that doesn't suck. You heard that right. Fuck you, Fanta. All right. Let's move on to what I've been playing. You guys, I haven't been – I was I was out of town this weekend, so I didn't have too much time to play games, but I did make it a point to finish up Alan Wake. I have not finished all the DLC, which I am currently working on, but I did finish the main campaign. Not much more to say about this. I, I really love this game. I love Remedy. Um, it was definitely an example of one of those games where it's like, I was destined to love this game, but the one time I finally tried it, I just wasn't in the headspace or the mood to play it, and so it didn't click with me, but I'm so glad I came back and gave it another try because absolutely this game is great. It does it for me. I still say it's not as good as the best Remedy games. Like I still think like Max Payne or... Uh, Quantum Break. I still take those games over Alan Wake, but I, I definitely really like Alan Wake. Alan Wake, like everything Remedy makes, is about 10 times better than the next third person story driven game in line. You know, like I, I don't know. I Listen, I love Naughty Dog. I love Sony Santa Monica. I'm not trying to be an X bot. I do respect these like really narrative driven Sony teams that make like Last of Us and God of War and Uncharted and shit. But when it comes, for my money, when it comes to these. Third-person, action, heavily narrative-driven games. I think no one does it better than Remedy. They're still my favorite team for these kinds of games. I absolutely love Alan Wake. I fucking love Quantum Break. And I'm so hyped for Alan Wake 2. Really, my only big criticism of Alan Wake is, um, I think in the ending chapters, the last few chapters, they kind of drag out some of the gameplay and the combat a little bit because I think the game's combat mechanic, while incredibly unique and cool and, and fun to play around with just because it's so different... Uh, it gets old quick and it doesn't it doesn't stick as well as some other games and, and I think Alan Wake 2 will probably do a lot to address that. It seems like they're really trying to make it a different kind of game. But uh yeah, I think it, it kinda of, gameplay kinda of drags a little bit towards those final chapters, but story, so cool, start to finish. The world building, so cool. You know, the dialogue and the acting and everything, it's really, really, really good by 2010 standards, but obviously not as impressive by like what we get in modern games. And we know that because even even uh, even Remedy themselves have made far better games in terms of writing and acting since Alan Wake. So I'm really excited to see them be at the height of their game like they are today and be able to apply that to Alan Wake for a second attempt and give us Alan Wake 2 later this year. No doubt. Of all the many, 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 many October games coming out this year, Alan Wake 2 is one that I absolutely will not wait on. I will play that day one because I cannot wait for Alan Wake 2. And Alan Wake 1, great game. Super glad I have it under my belt. Checked off my list. It's one of those I'm so embarrassed to admit I've never played this game kind of games. And it feels really good to finally have that checked off so I don't have to feel that embarrassment as much. But now I need to get over to like uh, the 7,000 other Yakuza games and Metal Gear Solid 2 and... Mass Effect Trilogy. Oh my god, I still haven't played Mass Effect. 
But uh, yeah, that's it for what I've been playing. I wanted to play Halo Infinite Season 4, but had the world's longest update, so I'll play it this weekend, and then we can talk about it next on, on next week's show. So that's it for what I've been playing. You guys, let's take a quick breather, and then we'll jump into the news, because we got a fuck ton of it this week, because it's just... The world is excited about Xbox. Everyone's talking. It's all about Xbox these days, guys. It's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Throw out your shake weight. Fucking Ninja Blender. We don't need it. It's all about the Xbox. That's the only appliance, utility, electronic that people give a shit about anymore. It's all about the Xbox. All right, guys, let's get started with the news, starting with the big one that broke this uh, today, actually, just a couple hours before I hit record. Had to move it on up to the top because, gosh, gee whiz, Microsoft has uh, they done the unthinkable, guys. Last year, we were laughing about it because Sony did it, and now, well, now Xbox is doing it. From The Verge, that's right, or other sources out there, Microsoft is increasing the price of the Xbox Series X in most countries starting in August. Apart from the U.S., Japan, Chile, Brazil, and Colombia, the Xbox maker is also increasing the monthly price of its Xbox Game Pass and Game Pass Ultimate subscriptions for the first time next month, which will be seeing the base Game Pass price subscription for consoles move up to $10.99, which is up a dollar from $9.99. Quote, we've held out on our prices for consoles for many years and have adjusted the prices to reflect the comp competitive conditions in each market, says Carrie Perez, head of communications for Xbox in a statement to The Verge. Xbox Series X console pricing will largely match the price hike Sony announced for the PS5 last year, with the Xbox Series X now moving to 479 euro in the or sorry, 479.99 pounds in the UK, 549.99 euro in most European markets, and 649.99 Canadian dollars, as well as 799.99 Australian dollars starting August 1st. The Series S pricing will not be adjusted in any markets and will remain at the 299 price that it has enjoyed since it released back in 2020. While the Xbox Series X pricing adjustments have been expected after uh, Sony's move last year, Xbox chief Phil Spencer also hinted in October that pricing for subscriptions wouldn't hold forever. Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and Game Pass for consoles pricing will increase starting on July 6. Xbox Game Pass Ultimate will move from $15 a month to $17 a month or $15, 15 euro or 13 pounds. Uh, the base Xbox Game Pass for console pricing will also move from $9.99 a month to $10.99. Uh, or basically 11 euro or 9 pounds. Microsoft is not changing PC Game Pass pricing, however, just the console pricing. Interesting. And that shows that they're trying to be more competitive in the PC space. If you're an existing Game Pass monthly subscriber, these new pricing reoccurring changes will take place on August 13th or September 13th if you're in Germany, because I guess Germans are loved just a little bit more than everyone else. New Game Pass members will see the new pricing immediately on July 6th. If you're subscribed to Game Pass through the yearly code, the new pricing won't take effect until you renew your subscription. Most markets will be affected by the Xbox Game Pass price increase, with the exception of some Game Pass console pricing, which will remain the same in Norway, Chile, Denmark, Switzerland, Saudi Arabia. So it seems like Chile is the best place to avoid any price hikes because uh, they were spared of all the price hikes. Microsoft hasn't changed uh, its Game Pass uh pricing since it launched back in 2017 the company's been keen to stress that it isn't related to any proposed acquisition of activision or blizzard quote these game pass price adjustments are not related to activision blizzard deal in any way they're intended to match local market conditions says perez microsoft's xbox subscription uh changes follow a general trend in price hikes over the past couple of years for entertainment subscriptions like with companies such as i don't know uh the, 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 the netflix and such like that so all right 
there's the part of me that's like rational and understanding because it's like I, I understand how businesses work this is how it goes you know as the cost of doing business increases you pass that cost down to consumer it's about okay everything is x amount of dollars x percentage more expensive in order to operate a business these days we need to take whatever that cost is and pass it on to our consumer base so that we can continue to enjoy the same profit margins or you know be able to continue to beat our profit margins year over year it's just how you run an effective business it's sad but it's how the world works when capitalism runs Runs everything. So just it just is what it is. So being a realistic, rational person who lives in the world I live in, whether I like it or not, I can understand and be like, I don't love it, but I get it with this with this kind of reality, right? It just is what it is. The thing that bugs me a little bit about it though is that well, it's a couple things. It's it's one, Xbox, they were kind of quick last year to be like, Yeah, we're not doing what PlayStation's doing, we're not raising our prices, and they weren't like dunking on PlayStation, but they they did absolutely take the bad news from PlayStation last summer about raising prices as an opportunity to be like, we're not doing that. And it's just like, keep your fucking mouth shut. Just, just, and I feel like Xbox, I have to say this more often to them about, about them than anyone else. Which just like, keep your fucking mouth shut, dude. I understand it's really tempting in the moment to get those little slam dunk points and to get all your little Twitter fanboys that have the Xbox logo as their profile picture and they like spend all day being like, mm, what game are you most excited to fucking play and terrorize on your awesome Xbox hardware this summer? And it's like Starfield, uh, Forza, something else that's totally awesome and available on Xbox. It's like, aside from trying to appease those absolute cartoonishly weird 40-year-old men, no one wants to see you just brag and be like flexing all day. Like we got this or we're not doing this. The bad guys are doing that. We're not doing that. And then a year later, you look like a fucking doofus when it's like, you have to do the same thing. You held out for an additional year and now you're now you look like shit. And, and, and you know what? I'm able to deduct easily by there being a year gap between PlayStation and, and, and Xbox doing this price increase is that last summer PlayStation could do it. Because they had so much goodwill and they're in such a great place in the market and they had good games on the horizon that people were looking forward to. And everyone already loves PlayStation, so it doesn't fucking matter. They got some bad news. They have something bad they got to do and they're going to do it and they're going to take it on the chin and move on. And that's what they did last year. They raised the price of the PS5 in most markets and life went on. But Xbox, they couldn't do that last year because last year... They can't be like, hey, guys, um, it's 2022. We have no fucking games to talk about this year, and we're raising the price of our console. That's why Xbox didn't do it last year. It's not because they're better. It's not because they're altruistic. It's because they were in a corner where they couldn't. And the reason they're doing it now is because after Halo's fuck up and having no games last year and Redfall disappointing people uh, a month ago, now they're in a place all of a sudden where it's like, people love us. They're hyped about Starfield. The showcase was a smash hit. We got great games on the way. And it's true. We do love you. You got some great games on the way. And we're excited about the future of Xbox. But it's no coincidence that the second there's goodwill with Xbox, the second where we're in this value proposition of like, wow, Xbox is a great place to play. You can get in for as low as 300 bucks and Game Pass is an amazing value. And everyone's like, yeah, I see why Xbox is cool. I see why people like Xbox. The second that's the kind of general temperature, uh, Microsoft's like, cool, we're raising prices. 
because now they can get away with it because now it's not as shitty for them optically to do it because everyone's like, well, yeah, but now we can cut them some slack because they're business and they're just doing what they got to do. And, you know, Starfield's going to be an amazing game. It's still a great value game pass, you know, and, you know, it's not any more expensive than the PS5 is. So I guess it's okay. And hey, the Series S isn't moving in price. So that's still really affordable if you're really worried about money. And so it's like now they can have their user base and their fan base do all the rationalization on their behalf because they have goodwill right now. So I don't know. It's like, I, I don't, I don't really care at the end of the day. It's like, that sucks. And I guess I, I should also clarify when I say, I don't really care. It's like, I don't mean to be so callous about it. it, it it's, you know, it's really easy for me to say that as an American living in a country where I'm not going to get affected by that price increase on the series X because they just, the, I guess PlayStation determined that the U S is too competitive of a market and therefore would not raise the price. And now the Xbox is following suit. Obviously the U S is the very most important market for uh, the Xbox because it's an American product. Um, so, you know, I get, I get to enjoy that privilege of like not having to worry about that because it doesn't pertain to me. Also, I already have an Xbox series X, so it doesn't pertain to me in that way either. But I mean, Hey, the game pass price increase, you know, applies to me. My game pass runs out in a couple months and then I'm going to have to start paying 16 or 17 bucks a month or whatever it is instead of 15. So hey, it does, you know, it sucks. It, there's no way around it. it sucks. I'm not like crestfallen over. I don't think game pass is a bad proposition. Now. I don't think the Xbox series X is a bad proposition. Now I don't I, like, this doesn't change me in any way, but um, yeah, it just, it just sucks that in a world where everything's becoming just a little more expensive incrementally, Xbox had to do this in kind of a way that just seems a little slimy, if you ask me. It's like, I get that you had to do this, but I, I almost would have rather you just done it last summer when PlayStation did it and just taking some more L's on the chin or whatever the fuck they say, um, rather than just be like, oh, you guys finally like us? Cool price increase. Because <laughs> this is just, I don't know, it's a little shittier. But it is funny to see what markets they, that they're like basically just like, yeah, we don't give a shit. We're not changing the price. In which markets they're just like, yeah, fuck you. We're changing the price. So that's a, that's another little fun one there. But uh, yeah, I mean, not, not much more to say on this. It's just everything is just more expensive. And when you are a company that is run by shareholders, you have to you have to show that your various projects and, and divisions and, and things you're doing in your company are generating revenue and justifying their existence. And what you know, whether Xbox is making a killing profit or a killer of a profit or, or just doing okay or whatever, they gotta they gotta show numbers going up over time that make investors feel like Xbox and Game Pass and all this is worth their time and money. So that's why these things happen. Things are getting expensive. And it always ends up falling on the shoulders of the little guy who can't afford to keep up because uh, it's almost like the world is set up to take care of the corporations, protect them, give them everything they need to succeed and flourish. And then everyone who's not rich to, uh, can go fuck themselves. So shout out to that. Things are more expensive. All right, moving on. Let's talk about something that is so polar opposite to the last story because that last story is something I, I hate to talk about. And this next story is something I'm so fucking hyped about. Speaking of goodwill for Xbox, Microsoft and People Can Fly have signed a deal for a new Xbox game. In a regulatory release, the Polish studio said codename Project Maverick will be fully funded uh, by by IP owner Microsoft and will have a 30 to $50 million budget. The developer behind Gears of War Judgment, Bulletstorm, and most recently Outriders said that it concluded the production and publishing agreement with Microsoft for a AAA game on Tuesday. People Can Fly 
or Tuesday last week. People Can Fly, which celebrated its 20th anniversary in 2022 and was owned by Epic Games from 2012 to 2015, also developed a PC port of the original Gears of War and has worked on Fortnite 2. In July 2020, People Can Fly announced that it was working on an original AAA title led by New York studio, led by its New York studio, which is its secondary studio, and directed by its uh, the director of just cause three the company described the project as the highly ambitious groundbreaking action adventure title which would also be contributed to by its warsaw uh and newcastle studios which are the main teams announced for console pc and streaming platforms the game was being led by creative director roland lesterlin and studio head david gringes gringes Oh my God. At Avalanche, New York, Lestern, Lester Lynn previously directed Just Cause 3, while Gringes served as the game's executive producer. So they got some guys of uh, Avalanche fame. Avalanche, the guys that make Mad Max and Just Cause, not the guys that make Hogwarts Legacy and Disney Infinity, uh, working on with People Can Fly now on this new project. But hey, that's the big story here, just to kind of recenter it. People Can Fly, the guys behind Bulletstorm that have heavily worked on Gears of War throughout time, and uh, the guys behind Outriders, are making a brand new IP, or actually it doesn't say brand new IP, making a new game for Microsoft, and the IP will be owned by Microsoft. So that tells you either they're making a game that in a Microsoft-owned property, like Gears of War probably, or they're making an all-new IP that Microsoft will be the owner and arbiter of. So either way you look at it, this is great. The only potential downside to this is because it's an IP owned by Microsoft, that means it cannot be Bulletstorm 2, which I would love a Bulletstorm 2 because Bulletstorm 1 is just so fucking good. So this is super exciting. I love this shit, man. I, I love this so much. And this is this is like exactly what I want to see. It's like they, they didn't they didn't say, oh, uh, let's announce some vague cinematic trailer at a showcase. You know, like they could have they could have had people can fly slap together some vague cinematic um, contraband style trailer and th- show it at their showcase last week. And we would have all been like, oh, what's Project Maverick coming from the guys that make Bulletstorm? Oh, what's that all about? Oh, it's coming to Xbox instead of doing that and wasting our time because this game is very far off. They're like, no, let's just let's just announce the deal publicly that we're working with this team, and then we'll show something years from now when we're ready to show it. So thirty to okay, let's back this up a little bit. Thirty to fifty million dollar budget. That's that's a small budget for a game by by modern gaming standards. That's not a lot of money. Now, developers in that part of Europe, in 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 Poland and that side of Europe, are a lot more uh, cost effective than. Uh, that uh then then like developers and i don't know like california so historically like i think famously like remedy they're out of you know remedies out of out of finland uh they are um they made control for like some like 50 million dollars which is astonishing a game like control made by a u.s team in like california or something probably would have been like 150 million dollar game or something so it's it is true that historically um development teams from this part of the world they just they're just more cost effective and also i think they developers unfortunately probably just get paid a whole lot less over there than they do here in the states and so you can usually get a lot more game for a lot less money so a 30 to 50 million dollar game you know for a team like people can fly might equate to something like an 80 to 100 million dollar project from like a US team which still is a smaller game by modern gaming standards so i expect this is going to be some like game pass double a double a plus type game not fully triple a style game for game pass and 
I don't know, with that kind of money, it's like, you think about what people can fly are really good at. Well, they worked on Gears of War a couple times. They worked on Gears Judgment. I think they worked on one of the collections or some multiplayer content on one of the games. Uh, but they worked with Epic a lot to the point where they were owned by Epic at one point. And then they worked with Epic. They worked with people who worked on Gears of War to create Bulletstorm. And that was Bulletstorm was what, like 2010, I want to say? Bulletstorm was so fucking good. It was like Gears of War but meets Doom kind of. And it was first person it was so good i love bulletstorm so much and um so yeah definitely like shooter stuff like gritty gears of war style third person first person shooting and then they made uh outriders which came out two years ago which was published by square enix and it was that kind of like games as a service but not necessarily it's like a game like a single player game that played as a games as a service but isn't really a games as a service that game was really good, uh, I thought at least. It was a day one Game Pass game. Microsoft has a long relationship with People Can Fly, so it's kind of weird. Like they've uh, they've worked with them many times in the past, so it kind of surprises me that it's been so long since they've done something together. But yeah, this is um, this is them doing a new thing. So uh, the only thing I can think that this will be is either they're making some kind of Gears of War spinoff game, number one, or number two, they're making a brand new IP in like some fun kind of like multiplayer game pass style game either way i'm really curious to see what this is because i just love people can fly i think they're such a great i think they're such a great team they made painkiller on pc back in the day they've worked on gears of war they've worked they made Bulletstorm, which i love they made outriders which i love i just think this is another one of those like eastern european teams that just kind of kill it they just they make such good stuff you look at all the things coming out like focus entertainment they're a french publisher but they work with a lot of eastern european teams look at remedy look at people can fly you look at all these like different teams and such and it's just uh, saber these i don't know man these these teams just continue to put out like secretly some of the best shit in the industry uh project c project red um etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's just I, I don't know man i'm always I'm always rooting for these kinds of teams, especially because people can fly. Again, it's like one of those like Xbox 360 energy kind of moments where it's like, oh, they're going back. Xbox is going back to work with people can fly. Oh, man, we're going back to like the Gears of War, Bulletstorm era. It's like, okay, let's fucking do it. Like, are we, what are we, what are these guys cooking up? And I think clearly Microsoft probably had some good experience with them with Outriders on Game Pass. And they're like, hey, what would it take for us to, you know, it's like we paid Square Enix so much money to get Outriders on Game Pass. What would it take for us to get something like, that we own and that's exclusive on game pass from these guys. Cause they clearly have the chops to do it. And I just kind of wonder, cause it's like if their New York team is working on a different project, I assume that's probably something that's already been greenlit and in development for a while. So that's probably not this game. Plus that game might be more expensive than 30 to $50 million. Cause New York's not a cheap uh, city to develop in. And then I thought they were working on outriders too with square Enix. I thought that was like kind of confirmed. So even though it's been confirmed that outriders one, never even really made enough money for people who can fly to like get pay off of it other than just the development costs. So I don't really know where that puts them in terms of what they could be working on, what teams are really available to what capacity they're available to really go balls deep in something big, like a big project. And then, what kind of game it could be. So I'm really curious to see all those details, but man, I don't, I don't care whether it's a Gears of War spinoff game or it's a new IP. I just, I love this shit so much. And this is one of those teams where it's like, you could add these guys to the fold. Like, I, I don't know. Like I'm always looking at like the, what's a studio here, a studio there that you can add to your, your portfolio. That makes more sense than just buying a massive entity like Activision. People can fly, fit that bill pretty nicely where I'm like, I feel like people can fly. They would fit well into the fold and, you know, put them in the same umbrella and family with like access to developers, like machine games and id software. It's like, I feel like they could really 
cohabitate and make some really great shit together. It's like, I don't know. People Can Fly is a really good team. And fuck, let them work on a fucking Halo game, dude. I swear to God. We'll, we'll talk about Halo in a minute. But for love of Christ, if you want to let People Can Fly work on some like ridiculous ODST style spinoff Halo game, I'm here for it, man. Give me a Bulletstorm Halo game. I don't even know what that looks like, but just just do it anyway, because why the fuck not? So super excited about this story, and it'll probably be a long time before we see anything of it, but just the news, knowing that's happening, I'm, I'm hyped on it. Speaking of other teams making Halo, let's talk about exactly that. 343 Industries will continue to work on the Halo series going forward, but other studios may get involved with the development. It's been suggested due to that Axios interview yet again with Matt Booty. Um, Mr. B explained that the team at 343 is working hard at Halo Infinite, um, now notably different from... Uh, Sorry, that the team working on Halo Infinite now is notably different from the one that started working on the project back in the day. And this new team is well suited to continue taking the series forward. Quote, I feel confident that the leadership team, but the team that got us here is probably not the same team that's going to get us forward. After the former studio head, Bonnie Ross, left 343 in September, uh, she was replaced by the studio's then head of production, Pierre Heinz. Um, Booty said that Heinz's previous success in turning around the disastrous launch of the Master Chief Collection makes him the perfect leader to take over Halo where it needs to go in the future. Praising him for his cleanup work on the compilation, Booty said, Look at the quality of the Master Chief Collection and know where the core team um, that did that in, did a lot of the heavy lifting is in charge of Halo right now. Booty then reportedly insisted that 343 will continue to work on Halo, but that the outside studios may get involved as well. When he asked uh, what this potentially means for Activision's Call of Duty team and whether or not they could work on a Halo game should Activision get acquired by Xbox, Booty didn't rule it out, but he did state that it wouldn't be mandatory to by Xbox management for something like that to happen. He said, quote, If something like that were to happen, it would have to come from the studios. Uh, it's unlikely that we would come to and dictate that from the top. So sounds like that pretty like modern laissez-faire Xbox kind of approach of like, hey, we're not going to go over to Treyarch and say, yo, Treyarch, give us a fucking Call of Duty Zombies flood game that everyone definitely wants, including Jesse DeRosa. They're not going to do that because they, they they ruled that way back in the day. They drove Bungie away with that kind of shit. They don't want to be those guys anymore. Not under the Matt Booty, Phil Spencer um, leadership. That's not really their style. So what they're more so saying is like, hey, 343 is more than capable of continuing to lead Halo. They're going to continue to exist and do whatever the fuck they're going to do. They're probably going to reboot Halo and do the 17th story that they'll never finish. Who knows? But uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, if, uh, I don't know, if Machine Games or People Can Fly or, or Infinity Ward or someone were to come up to us and be like, hey, I got an idea for a Halo game. It's, uh, it's a Halo game that has a distinct beginning, middle, and an end, and we don't leave it kind of unfinished like the past th few Halo games. And they're like, okay, keep talking. And they're like, okay, and it's going to have guns in it. And it's going to have a full multiplayer suite at launch. And uh, people are still going to bitch about it because Halo fans are the worst. Uh, but it's going to be awesome. And then they're like, okay. So they're just saying that they're open to letting other teams kind of be like, hey, we got an idea. Can we take a crack at the you know, take a crack at Halo? I feel like at this point, Xbox has got to stop being so protective over X or over Halo because they've done such a bad job of being protective within the walls of 343 when they needed to be. That it's like the, you fucking broke the franchise at this point. You might as well just let anyone work on it. Um, that's not really how I personally like want to feel about it. That's not like what I want for Halo, but I do feel like they're probably better off at this point just letting whoever wants to take a crack at it. But that's but that's just it. Is it's like let's say the Activision deal goes through. And Xbox can 
afford to let a, you know a team or two of of the Call of Duty s- slave brigade uh, go for a couple years and do something other than a Call of Duty game? Who's to say that that's what the team at like Raven or Infinity Ward or Toys for Bob or High Moon? Who's to say that any of them would want to do something like that? Like, what if they'd be like, "Yo, we're fucking tired of first-person shooters. Can we make?" Can we make a booty simulator game, like a map booty, booty simulator hustle game? I don't know. Maybe they want to do something like that. Maybe they're fucking tired of guns and faces all the time. And they're like, we want to make a fucking Animal Crossing knockoff. That's what we want to do because we're so tired of making Call of Duty for the past 47 years. Who's the president? What year is it? You know, that kind of thing. So I don't know. It's It just kind of puts it in a weird place where it's like it's up for grabs, but also it's like who wants to attach themselves? I don't know. It's like, kind of like how I feel about Star Wars. It's like. I understand it's like it's good resume experience to get to work on Star Wars, but like if you're in Hollywood, it's like, do you really want to work on Star Wars right now? It's like anything that has Star Wars on it gets just obliterated and hated by the fans. It's like, do you really want to attach your name to that right now? So I feel like Halo is kind of in that realm a little bit where it's like, you want to work on Halo, the game that was once a masterpiece that now people hate and people are always looking to hate on whoever's in charge of working on it and nothing you can do will ever make the fanboys happy. And it's just kind of a, a lose lose situation. It's like, you want to go voluntarily work on that or do you want to do something new? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's kind of where it always ends up. So I, I don't know, man. It's cool to see that Xbox is so open-minded to like letting other teams like take a crack at it. I guess if they have an idea and a desire to do so. And it's cool that they are at least on a, on a publicly facing level, still supportive and confident in 343, although they kind of have to show that face regardless of how they actually feel behind the scenes, because that's how it works when your job is to lead and run a business like this. But here's hoping that uh, at the end of the day, Whatever happens with Halo, it's for the better because I just I have no opinions and no thoughts on Halo at this point. I'm just I'm just so like numb to it. Uh, I just I don't know everything the past couple of years with Halo has just kind of broke me. So I don't know. I was I was the guy who was so optimistic about Halo even through the Halo Four and Five days where I'm like, y'all are crazy. These games are great, and now I'm just now I'm just a broken jaded fool. All right, let's continue on. Matt Booty, he's not done yet, but now we're not talking about Axios. We're talking about a different interview. So Xbox has turned the corner in its efforts to deliver at least four first-party games every year. That's according to Xbox Game Studio boss Matt Booty, who over the last couple of years has been speaking publicly about the company's ambition to deliver a new game each quarter. With the likes of Redfall and Starfield delayed to 2023, last year was a disappointing, quiet year for the Xbox first party. But the future looks bright, Booty told members of the press following Sunday's Xbox showcase. Quote, we had some gap year. We we had some gap years, but but I think we've turned the corner going into 2023, he said. And this was via gamesindustry.biz. I'm feeling very good about launching Hi-Fi Rush, Minecraft Legends, what we're doing uh, there as well. We've had Age of Empires continuing to come to console, and we saw it today. Uh, we're very excited with this fall with Forza Motorsport and Starfield. But when we get into 2024, it really kicks into gear. We've got something like we've got Towerborn, we've got Hellblade 2, Avowed, Flight Sim. Uh, and some things we haven't even talked about so far. So over the past five years, Xbox has aggressively grown its portfolio of first-party studios, as well as setting up the initiative, who are working on Perfect Dark and the New Age of Empire studio. And Xbox has acquired uh, the likes of Ninja Theory, working on on Hellblade, Playground, working on Forza, uh, Obsidian, working on Fallout, or who are known for Fallout, and Exile, who are known for the Wasteland games, Double Fine, they're known for Psychonauts, Undead Labs, State of Decay, of course, Compulsion, uh, known for We Happy Few, and Bethesda, who will soon be known for Starfield. So 
obviously with this continuous growth and now finally being past this this growing pains period of like we got you you're the first party now what do you want to do here money here's time here's resources go do what you want to go do Uh oh covid's here it's fucking everything up everything's delayed everything's work from home how do we pick up the pieces where do we go from here after all these cycles have kind of washed over and done their thing we're into the new generation we're away from the xbox one now we're on the series x everything's about game pass okay the dust has settled on all these different pain points and talking points and turning points and points points and and uh, whatever the case may be. And I, I get it. I, I feel it too a little bit where, if, where like, that's what I'm talking about with that Xbox 360 energy is back when I say that. That's what I'm kind of feeling. It's like it feels like the, the, the release cadence is lining up and they're going to have shit going forward. You know, some years might be better than others, but they're always going to have a little bit of something happening every year. And it seems like they're pretty confident in that as well, which is really how this reads to me. It's like, we got a bunch of teams, we got a bunch of things in the pipeline, and now you're going to start to see that kind of steady trickle of content really start to pay off uh, after years and years of us having to constantly ask our fans, like, be patient, it's coming, be patient, it's coming, one more year, one more year, one more year. And now we're finally at that point, starting with Starfield coming out in a couple months and then heading off into the future. So we'll have to see and wait, and it does appear this way on the outside, but uh, only time will tell, and at the end of the day, it means nothing that the games aren't good, because we all thought Redfall was going to be good, and then we saw how that went. Even though I liked it, I can acknowledge it's definitely not what it was meant to be or supposed to be. It didn't live up to the expectations and the hype. So if they can put out... If Starfield can be that second coming of Jesus, if it can be anything close to what uh, to what Skyrim was, you know, and, and then we can keep this consistent release schedule of games that are just really, really solid for Xbox then I think we're onto something really special, but it's all about the execution of these games, the way Xbox manages these teams in this portfolio. They haven't really proven themselves yet, in my opinion, but I think that they have a real opportunity to do it right here. And so I'm optimistic, I'm excited, and I think many, many, many are. All right, let's keep going. Xbox box Phil Spencer, that's right, it's not all about the booty Phil Spencer talks to, uh, has said that a potential mid-cycle upgrade for the Xbox Series X is not a priority for Microsoft. When asked whether Xbox plans to release a more powerful console this generation, Microsoft's head of gaming told Bloomberg he doesn't feel an imperative to do so. That's not the feedback that we're getting right now. Right now, we're pretty set on the hardware that we already have. Microsoft and Sony both launched current-gen consoles in November of 2020, while the companies have previously introduced major upgrades in the three- to four-year mid-cycle uh mid-generation cycle with the likes of the Xbox One X or the PS4 uh, Pro. The COVID-19 pandemic hit adoption rates really hard and impacted the timelines that may have affected mid-cycle hardware refreshes from needing to exist this time around. So, yeah, I mean, I see a little bit. Like, I, I, th I think no doubt Xboxes are indeed a Xbox Series X version X mid-cycle kind of refresh, but it seems like based on the, the sales pace and their ability to keep up with hardware manufacturing and all these other aspects that it just, it just seems like it doesn't make sense for them to do it right now, which is why I believe the rumors that PlayStation and Xbox, they both had something ready to go. They've been R and Ding, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll get these devices. The economy is getting worse. People are just now being able to get their hands on these devices after years of trying to. And honestly, the, the games really haven't really been there to support these new platforms up until this point. So it just doesn't, it just really hasn't made sense for them to force it. But we're finally getting into like the groove of this generation now, about three years in almost. And so if there's going to be time for a mid-cycle refresh, it all depends on which way the wind blows with the economy and how long this generation lasts and what the market is demanding and kind of what, you know, what there's, what there's a demand for. And that's just all going to be a time will tell sort of deal. So 
That's why we got things like the Xbox Series S in black with added storage as opposed to like an Xbox Series X version X. So that's just to explain that. All right, we still got a lot to get through. This next one is the biggest. It's the biggest doozy of them all in terms of just length. So bear with me. We got a lot to get through here with Embracer. Things are not looking good over there. So from VGC, Embracer Group have announced a new restructuring program, which will see some game studios closed and some projects permanently canceled. Shares of the company are nosediving over 40% last month after the Swedish company said that a major $2 billion partnership had fallen through unexpectedly and they wouldn't be it wouldn't be going ahead as planned, leading to the slashing of an earnings forecast. So they were trying to get additional loans, additional funds, and that fell through. Now in an open letter posted to the company's website, CEO Lars Wingford uh, has stated that the newly announced restructuring program will be designed to make Embracer leaner, stronger, more focused, and self-sufficient as a company. Quote, during the past years, Embracer has invested significantly in both the acquisitions and into the strategy of accelerated organic growth, Wingford says as he continues. We've acquired some of the world's leading entertainment IP and we've invested into some of the largest pipelines of games around the industry. The program presented today will transform us from our current heavy investment mode into a high cash flow generative business this year, which is a lot to say. It's a lot to promise. The new restructuring will result in job losses. Embracer current engage, currently engages, weird to say, engages, you mean employees, close to 17,000 people. And while that number will be lower by the end of the year, it is too early to give the exact forecast on this, Wingford says. It is pain, it's crazy because that's actually like fewer people than Ubisoft employees, and they have way more IP and way more studios than Ubisoft. Continuing on. It is painful to uh, to see talented teams team members leave. Our people are what make the very fabric of Embracer. I understand that and respect that many of you will be worried about your own positions and don't have all the answers to the questions. I want to be clear: the decision is about the program. That the decisions about this program were not taken lightly. I'm asking all of our managers to lead and act with compassion, respect, and integrity throughout each phase of the uh, of, of the through each of the phases wherever possible. We will work with each of you to ensure the affected team members receive information first where we can. We will try to provide opportunities for our colleagues to transition into other projects and explaining the company plans in more detail. Wingford says the actions will include, but are not limited to closing or divestments of some studios and the terminations or pursuing of some ongoing game developments or sorry, the termination or pausing of some ongoing game development projects. So people will lose jobs and games will get canceled. That's what that means. It will, quote, he says, quote, it will also include decreased spending on non-development costs such as overhead and other operating expenses. We will reduce third-party publishing and a greater have a greater focus on internal IP and increasing external funding of large budget games. Wingfurs also notes that the planned game cancellations will almost entirely be around unannounced projects, stating that all announced games or significant releases will still release as currently planned. Concluding, he says, I'm proud of what we've built over the past few years, and I'm shocked, and we should acknowledge that we are headed into a solid year with many amazing releases such as Remnant 2, Warhammer 40K, Space Marine 2, Payday 3, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2, Turbocharged, Arizona Sunshine 2, Alone in the Dark, Homeworld 3, and many, many other games. Our fiscal... Our financial year started with one of the greatest successes so far, Dead Island 2, which exceeded management's already high expectations. Embracer has been making a number of high-profile investments over the past few years, to the extent to which, at the time of this writing, is now running 12 operations and groups overseeing 138 internal studios with ownership or control of around 850 various IP. It's insane. Uh, and in another anecdote related to all of this, Wingford said that the company is planning to increase its focus on internal IP with 
newly appointed interim chief of operations officer Matthew Karsh discussing during a press conference. He says, quote, I have high degree of confidence that the entire process is going to easily translate into better products and be more profitable, giving us greater opportunity to grow in the future. And that helps us to leverage the IP we own with the organization, said former Sabre Interactive CEO Karsh. I mean, we own Lord of the Rings and we don't and we and we need to be exploiting Lord of the Rings in very significant fashion and turning that into one of the biggest gaming franchises in the world. And that's obviously something what we're going to be doing. And so it's much better to use of resources than some other projects and some of our other teams have been working on. So we're working together and we have those opportunities and we're super excited to see and put to work relatively quickly. Bracer acquired the entertaining rights for Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit IP back in August of last year. All right. Reading completed there. All right. So first of all, that Lord of the Rings stuff turns my stomach and makes me sick. Trying to like basically Call of Duty Lord of the Rings, something that's like as scholarly and important and historically significant to just the fictional and literary worlds that it, it belongs in to just openly say we need to exploit it aggressively like that. So gross. But clearly what's happened here is shit has hit the fan with uh, Embracer. They are greenlighting projects acquiring studios, gobbling up IP, and just constantly greenlighting projects and trying to get things off the ground while growing and growing and growing. And they haven't stopped and had a chance to turn a profit and figure out the financials of this business because they are releasing some successful games. They are they do own a lot of really good IP. They do own a lot of good talent with uh, game developers and things like that. But it's just they, they're just not they're not they haven't been focused on like, okay, that's enough. Let's focus on really putting out some great games rather they've just been focused on like growing so hard and so fast to the point where they have so many games in development that no one could possibly like if i said what are all the games activision's got going on right now you'd be like oh yeah call of duty and be like done and i'm like what are all the games that ea's got going on you're like oh they made a star wars game they're probably working on another battlefield they got apex legends they got a couple sports games like madden cool what are the games that embracer's working on your mind would fucking explode because you can't name 8,000 games on the spot right now. And that's the thing is it's just it's just an unsustainable business growth model. And it maybe made sense then when the economy was super hot a couple of years ago. And it was a good time to buy. And you could borrow money from next to nothing. And the interest rates were stupid fucking low. And it was just such a great time for rich people to take risks and throw their money around and use it on stuff. Because interest rates were low. Inflation wasn't as bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The economy was good. But now everything has changed dramatically. It's a terrible time to buy money. It's hard to, or to borrow money. It is is hard to get loans and to buy things and to do things. It's a bad time to be investing when people are just trying to hang on to money and the economy is looking uncertain and things like that. So the, their business model, the, the track they were on, it, it's a risky one, but it was working for the time they were in. The problem is the past few years have been so wildly, um, incons- inconceivably, just kind of off base from where everyone thought we would be that now this is no longer functioning for them. And it's put them in a precarious situation where now it's like, Oh shit, we've got all this stuff in development. We can't get additional funding secured. We haven't been able to really turn a serious profit, not because we're not putting out games that are doing well, but because we just have so much debt from so many acquisitions and so many projects that are in development. It's, it's a lot to juggle and they can't keep up with it. So naturally this is going to result in consolidation layoffs, cancellations as they straight up say, and of course, there's going to be like safe dudes. You can assume, uh, you know, the Borderlands guys, right? 
Gearbox, which they bought a couple of years ago. Those guys, you can assume, you know, like someone of that caliber, of that significance, they're going to be fine. But you worry about all these other ones. Like, I don't know, like, who, what do they call it? Black Forest, the guys that are doing like those Destroy All Humans remakes. Like, I don't know if they're safe. Like, what does that mean for Destroy All Humans? You own the IP, but now you're just like THQ when you bought the IP from them. It's like, are you just going to go under? You're just going to cancel the game? You're just going to lay off the developers? You just, like, is, 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 are these IP that you gobbled up from places like THQ that no longer exist, are they going to end up in the same fate that they had beforehand with THQ where, they are just going to get canceled and the developers are going to be dissolved and the IP are going to be, you know, just falling by the wayside, never to be seen again because you guys tried to grow so fast that you couldn't keep up with it and you never figured out how to make the business profitable and never, you know, never stopped to really make sure that was taken care of before all of this happened. So I don't know. I just, it seems like there's a potential that that's going to happen for at least some IP. And, you know, you assume things like Lord of the Rings and Tomb Raider and Borderlands and stuff like that. All all that's safe. But, you know, what about some of these smaller games? It's like, I don't know, can we keep doing things like like Dead Island? And can we keep doing things like Destroy All Humans and SpongeBob and shit? If, uh, you know, if if, if you're going to have to lay off massive swaths of people and, and, and probably unload some IP, they might have to end up selling some of this IP and selling some of these teams and try to, like, downsize a bit. I like that very realistically could be a part of the equation for them because they're saying that in the next year they'll get to a place of profitability. That's going to require some serious layoffs to make that happen. They have 17,000 people, 850 IP, 138 internal studios. Lots of people got to lose their jobs for them to make that a reality, this profitability model that they think they're going to get into in the next year. So I don't know. I, it's it's not good days from Bracer. My heart goes out to the people whose jobs are no doubt going to be affected by this. It's a shitty, shitty situation because a lot of people with a lot of money thrown around, a lot of investors willing to jump in, decided to play a game and gamble and buy all these teams. And now, you know, you got to wonder, it's like, are some of these teams starting to look at this shit and think about how the video games industry is consolidating so rapidly and going, maybe we don't want to sell out super fast to whoever will buy us because maybe some of these teams would be better off trying to make it on their own than just selling out to whatever publisher of the week may or may not shut them down a few years down the road, you know? Like, people can fly. I was just opining a little bit about, like, wouldn't it be cool if Microsoft bought them? But it's like, I don't know. Maybe it's better for them to just stay independent so that we don't have to have an issue in the future where Microsoft can Lionhead Studios them and shut their asses down. So it's like, I don't know, man. It's scary times for developers, scary times for teams. This is just kind of the nature of the beast in the games industry, unfortunately which is that that teams get shut down all the time and people move from one project to another. And it's always just a little bit like, you know, it's like one of those starved artist kind of jobs, always looking for your next gig. Although, of course, the difference is that games, game development generally pays a lot better than most of those other artistic gigs that I uh, kind of referenced or alluded to. But nonetheless, this is mostly just really sad and unfortunate shit. Hopefully Embracer is able to pull through and keep it together because they have some great IP. They have some great teams. And I, I, I want to root for them. I want to see them succeed with what they've been doing the past few years. I've wanted to be a fan of Embracer, but over the past 12 months or so, they've just slowly been making some questionable decisions that make me trust and respect them less and less and less. The stuff with Lord of the Rings, um, licensing shit out like Tomb Raider to Amazon. It's like, that's like your most important IP. Why would you not double down on that and do it internally and give that the big, biggest bug, budget you've given any of your games thus far? You should be making like a fucking uncharted level Tomb Raider game, not not pimping out the IP to Amazon. What the fuck is this all about? So clearly the signs have been on the wall, the writing's been on the wall. They're they're in trouble, and now we're gonna see them 
start to uh, restructure and, and kind of respond to the tough times that they're facing. All right, let's talk VR. Speaking of things that probably aren't a good investment right now. <laughs> um, from VGC, head of Xbox Game Studios, Mr. Phil Spencer. Nope, just kidding. Matt Booty. Uh, he talks about VR and AR market and how it's currently too small for the platform holder. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Matt Booty suggested that the games need to reach around 10 million players to be successful. Xbox games. This is really important, actually. This is a really, really important takeaway from Xbox in general going forward. Matt Booty suggests that Xbox games need to reach around 10 million players to be successful. He says, I think for us, it's just a bit of a wait until there's an audience kind of situation. We're really fortunate that we've got these big IP and we've turned into uh, ongoing franchises with big communities. We have 10 games that have achieved over 10 million players life to date, and it, which is pretty big of an accomplishment. But that's the kind of scale that we need to see success for a game. And it's just like, it's not quite there yet with AR and VR. In March, Sony president Hiroki Totoki said that the PlayStation VR 2 had a good chance of outselling its predecessor, which predecessor which sold 5 million units by the end of 2019. PSVR 2 launched earlier this year and sold around 600,000 units during its first six weeks. Uh, and Meta has sold almost 20 million of its Quest VR headsets, which is the most popular uh, VR headset. Xbox boss Phil Spencer has said back in 2019, uh, in, his, in regards to VR, that he perceives VR as being a dismissive technology, or he has been dismissive of the technology. He called it a relatively isolated format that doesn't fit with the vision of gaming as a communal pastime, adding that nobody's asking for VR as far as feedback goes. Xbox had... The Xbox head later clarified his comments, stating that he personally loves VR, but he thinks that the games industry is pioneering in different fields and that VR is just not their focus now. He said that, the, that, that back in February 2020, the Xbox was not supporting VR and that he hopes that one day the space would become so important that it would be a no-brainer for them to support it. In the following year, Spencer reiterated that Xbox had no interest in developing a VR headset. So, I mean, all right, this is nothing super surprising. Microsoft at large has the HoloLens, which is like their AR mixed reality headset that was at one point going to be consumer facing. They even showed it off at an Xbox stage showcase once with Minecraft and with Halo. And then they, that never came to be. And then they did release HoloLens, but it was like a it was like an enterprise industry kind of device. And then they made a sequel and really well received device, apparently a really great device. But they really haven't done a HoloLens 3, which is apparently internally canceled. And that's just kind of been in limbo forever. And clearly, Microsoft has a lot of experience and research into this. You know, they're one of the major tech companies like Apple, like Google, like Facebook, that's exploring this field and looking out and seeing what they need to be doing, where they need to be focused on. And their research has continually pointed to VR ain't it. It's weird because usually you see Microsoft try to be at the forefront with these things, save for, you know, phones, of course. Um, but it just seems like in this case, they're just pretty confident. They're like, this is not happening. You know, Apple, all these people chasing this market, it's not going to happen. And if it is going to happen for anyone, it's going to be for Apple. So if they can't even figure it out, which we'll find out soon enough, um, then it really is something that they just need to not waste their time with, which I'm a little bit on fa a fan of because while I would like to see Xbox be ridiculous and wacky and do new creative hardware because I love Kinect, I love Wii and Wii U and stuff like that, um, I also want to make sure Xbox is really focused on the thing they're struggling with right now, which is just supporting their main platform. And with cloud streaming and PC and all that support as well, they already have enough on their plate that isn't just the Xbox consoles themselves. So I am happy to see them like double, triple down on, on not doing VR and just focusing on the consoles at large right now. 
because that's where I think their attention is needed to be focused. So at least their heads are in the right space. But yes, hopefully one day we can see them make sense of VR and do it. But man, they're saying that they want to have games that are reaching 10 million players. I mean, VR does not have that kind of penetration in the market. There's just not that install base to do it. But damn, that's a huge... I mean, it's not. I guess it's not crazy when you think about like what Nintendo first party and Sony first party games do. They usually do. You know, Sony can regularly do 12, 15, sometimes 20 million on a first party game. Um, Nintendo can regularly do 20, 30, 40 million on these fucking games. They're insane. They'll sell Mario Kart to everyone five times over, and why not? Um, but Xbox doesn't have as much of that. They got, they got Sea of Thieves, they got Halo, you know, stuff like that. Um, but you know, grounded and things like that, but they don't, not everything they do is a 10 million plus kind of game Forza, whatever, but they, uh, they've got some room to go and, and, and wasting time in VR is not going to get them there. So it seems quite obvious that with their, with their focus being on market penetration with large market penetration with services like game pass and cloud streaming and stuff, VR is just the antithesis of what they need to be focused on. So it just doesn't make sense. All right, guys, we got uh, God, we got a few more, unfortunately. It's just going on forever and ever and ever. You guys are probably so tired of hearing me at this point. But we got to talk about what's going on with Titanfall 3 because we got a Titanfall story this week that I think is actually going to provide a lot of closure. That was kind of my takeaway after reading this story. And I hope, it, I hope you guys find it fruitful to hear this. But from GameSpot, by way of PC Games N, which I've never heard of. PC Games N, never heard of them. Respawn Entertainment was hard at work on Titanfall 3 for 10 months before the project was canceled so that so the efforts could be focused on Apex Legends, a former developer and studio claimed. Speaking to Burnett Work, former Titanfall and Call of Duty designer Mohamed Alavi uh, said that the game was well into development before Respawn pulled the plug on it altogether. Quote, Titanfall 2 came out, did what it did, and we were like, okay, we're going to make Titanfall 3. We worked on Titanfall 3 for like 10 months in earnest, and then we had the tech for it and multiplayer, sorry, and multiple missions going. But I'll make this clear it was incrementally better than Titanfall 2. It was not revolutionary. Alavi said that, that in the end, a combination of the multiplayer team struggling to make the multiplayer mode more accessible and the battle royale genre finding explosive success pushed. Uh, respawn to enter the genre so they were looking at PUBG and all that and they they couldn't figure out a way to make the titanfall multiplayer a little more accessible as it was a little bit of a bombastic overstimulating you know intense multiplayer experience and they looked at that and they said a prototype was made company-wide interest was ignited and the studio began working on a, a battle royale game apex legends quote we came back from a break and we talked about it and we were like, we need to pivot. Alavi said, we literally canceled Titanfall three ourselves because we were like, we can make this game and it'll be like Titanfall two plus a little bit better. Or we can make this thing, which is clearly amazing. And that was apex legends response. Decision eventually led to the rise of one of the most popular battle royale games on the block apex legends and has been a mainstay in the genre since it launched in 2019. Titanfall fans have still regularly called for Titanfall three, uh, to be, put into production but it's between the work on the upcoming star wars fps and the reportedly inspired dark forces subversion of another star wars game at ea and continues to develop on apex legends respawn has its hands busy respawn founder vince sampella isn't opposed to the idea of a titanfall 3 being made eventually but it would have to be the right thing before respawn would commit to making it such a beloved franchise and fans have also um 
for the fans and also for us. It's not the right moment in time. It's the, or the right idea. And then when it, and, but when it, sorry, the, if it's not the right time, if it's not the right idea, then it just doesn't make sense. Zampella said. All right, so this, I actually feel very different about Titanfall 3 following this news because I guess we just all kind of assumed that this was a story of like EA pulled the plug on Titanfall 3 while they were working on Apex Legends and Titanfall or then they pivoted to Apex Legends or something like that happened. We all just kind of assumed something like that was the case. But what they're saying here is like, we literally pulled the plug on on um, Titanfall 3 ourselves. One of the other reports, I don't, I guess it isn't in this one. I, I picked this one because it was a little more succinct. But one of the other reports was talking about how, well, that, that include more quotes from, from Mohamed Lavi. And he's like a legendary guy who used to work on Call of Duty back in Infinity Ward and then left with Vin Zampella and everyone to form Respawn when, when that happened um, back in like the early 2010s. <clears throat> and um, he, he left Respawn recently, so he's no longer there. So he's basically just speaking now as someone who's no longer a part of any of these teams. And what he was saying was that basically Respawn, Respawn didn't tell EA that they canceled Titanfall 3. For There were a couple months there where EA thought that Respawn was hard at work on Titanfall 3, and what they were really working on was Apex Legends. And they made the decision internally themselves to be like, are we gonna are we gonna cancel Titanfall and work on Apex Legends, or are we gonna go back to Titanfall? And they made the decision themselves and told EA, "Hey, we're canceling Titanfall. We got this on the way." And so that changes everything because it shows a shift in the power dynamic where Respawn is so trusted by EA, and it makes sense now because we see how much EA, you know, Vince Ampel in particular, but EA at large, uh, kind of just looks at Respawn and says, "Like you guys are the golden goose. Do whatever you want." And um, just knowing, I guess, knowing that Respawn said, we feel like we can't make a Titanfall 3 that's going to change, that's going to move the needle. If we make Titanfall 3, it's just going to end up being more Titanfall 2. And even though to myself and many of you, that probably sounds like a great thing, to them, it was like, what's the point? We can't reach a big audience with this franchise if our multiplayer can't be streamlined to be more accessible to more people. We can't reach a larger audience if we can't figure out a way to make this IP just make sense to that like Call of Duty type of market. And so to them, I guess they looked at it as, as now is not the time for Apex, for Titanfall. Let's put it on ice and let's do this other thing. And so that kind of gives you the understanding, the impression that Respawn could just choose to go back to Apex Legends or rather Titanfall if one day inspiration strikes them and they feel like, Aha, we found it. We 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 got it. We figured out what we need to do to make Titanfall 3 an evolution of Titanfall 2. And until that moment, they'll just keep doing Star Wars games and Apex Legends, but it makes me comfortable knowing that the reason there is no Titanfall 3 is because the developer felt like it wasn't the right move and not because the publisher put them in a spot. Because that means there's hope for Titanfall in the future. It means Respawn has creative control and freedom. And it means that we ended up not getting Titanfall 3 because it wasn't the game that the developers thought was a good idea to make. And I, I want developers to have that say and that freedom and that decision-making power. You know, I don't want, I don't want Titanfall 3 just because EA said, do another one. And they were forced to make it. I want Titanfall 3 because this is goddamn Titanfall 3. You beautiful bastards. This is the game we all want and deserve, you know? And 
it means if it wasn't meant to be or if the timing's not right, then so be it. Let's wait for maybe in, in down the road or maybe in another life when it is meant to be. I love Titanfall so much, but I just want to get under the right circumstances and, and conditions. And it just seems like Respawn would know better than anyone else um, whether or not it was a good idea to do Titanfall 3 in the in this situation they were in and and they deemed that it wasn't so i don't know that that seems that feels like closure to me a little bit it just feels like yeah it's shitty obviously it's not the situation we all want to be but it's one we can respect and understand and that makes it an easier pill to swallow in my opinion so speaking of ea we'll make this next one kind of a wrap-up because i just don't have much to say about it but yeah we'll, we'll kind of push these next two into like the wrap-up stories <clears throat> EA is uh, officially announced that they are restructuring and that uh, with this restructure, they're being moved into two organizations, EA Entertainment and EA Sports. Kind of almost sounds like they're going back to like the old EA days, like EA Sports. It's in the game. But uh, I don't know whether like there's going to be more of an obvious delineation between the two sides of the company. Uh, but the former, uh, which will house publishers own IP and licensed games will be held by Laura Mealy, who has been appointed as president of EA entertainment technology and central development respawn. Co-founder Vince Ampella will lead EA studios responsible for apex legends and its star Wars and battlefield games. Samantha Ryan will run the division's lifestyle franchises, blockbuster games like uh, Sims and shit. EA sports will be led by cam Weber who will, um, who's been appointed as president of the organization responsible for the company's sports and racing games. And CEO Andrew Wilson will uh, has announced restructuring plans in a message shared to the company where he says that um, with more creative ownership and financial accountability, they'll be able to make faster, more insightful decisions around development to make market strategies. So I think this they're trying to be a little more nimble and a little more... Uh, put a little more trust in their senior leadership these various departments so that they're able to pump games out sooner pivot where they need to pivot and not end up in this situation that these these publishers and developers keep finding themselves in where they're always behind the eight ball where it's like what's big right now destiny okay anthem and then it's like too little too late they want to be kind of at the forefront making sure that they have great leaders leading these different divisions saying this is where the industry is headed this is where we need to be and this is how much time we have to be there before it's too late and by having it more dispersed like this with really trusted leadership they feel like they can get there as opposed to having one guy steer the whole ship and hopefully be able to make all the right shots and calls. Uh, next up, our other wrap-up stories that Forza developer Turn 10 Studios is collaborating with on a new standalone car customization game for mobile. London-based mobile racing game developer Hutch uh, is the leading development on the title and the creative input along guidance from the Xbox studio Turn 10. They are making a uh, new game together. There was no mention on the game's name or release window or anything, but uh, they are working together, and that announcement has been made. So maybe it's some kind of Forza customization mobile game, but we'll have to wait and see. And then our last wrap-up story are the new games coming to and leaving Game Pass uh, from the Xbox Wire. So coming soon this week, Need for Speed Unbound, which I've been trying to try that game forever, is uh, on June 22nd. We'll come to Game Pass through EA Play, as well as the Bookwalker, available day one with Game Pass. Bramble the Mountain King comes on June 27th to Game Pass. Also on June 27th, we get Fist Forged in the Shadow to Torch. On June 29th, The Story of Seasons, Friend Friends of Mineral Town comes to Game Pass. And then on July 3rd, Arcade Paradise comes to console and PC on Game Pass. Finally, on July 5th, Sword and Fairy Together Forever comes to console and PC on Game Pass. And then on June 30th, at the end of this month, uh, the, the following six games will leave Game Pass. So... 
Try them, buy them before it's too late. DJ Max Respect, Empire of the Sin, Matchpoint, Oliha, Omori, and Road 96 all leaving Gay Pass at the end of the month. Cloud console and PC, baby. So make sure you try before you buy. Otherwise, you'll be a loser and you'll miss out and no one will love you. All right, guys, it's finally time to move out of the made news and into the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. We got a handful here. Uh, this one will go a little quicker than the last segment. But uh, Redfall, let's go back to Redfall. Redfall has received its first major patch. Developer Arcane Austin promises a number of improvements. Key to the update, according to the uh, Arcane, are enemy AI responsiveness, enemy encounter frequency, vampire combat efficiency, and improvements to graphical fidelity. And they say uh, the 60 FPS update is still on the way in the future. Next up, Dan Hauser, the co-founder of Rockstar Games, has announced a new media company. Following his leave from uh, Rockstar in 2021, he's incorporated a new company with various regions. Hauser's officially debuted Absurd Ventures, which will create new IP across all platforms and all media formats. We are quote we are built absurd. We built Absurd Ventures to create a new universe to tell great stories wherever and however we can. Alongside the announcement came a new website, AbsurdVentures.com, where users can sign up to receive exclusive content and company updates. Basically, they're doing that thing where like, hey, we exist. Come work with us. Dan Hauser, of course, the Hauser brothers, noted for creating and writing the Grand Theft Auto series, Red Dead Redemption, Max Payne 3, very, very notable, uh, very notable figureheads in the games industry. Next up, Sega's announced plans to hold a Sonic the Hedgehog live stream on June 23rd, this Friday. The latest Sonic Central stream showcase will take place at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and will be streamed on YouTube and Twitch. So hopefully we'll see a release date for that new Sonic Superstars. Next up, uh, a rating for Lego 2K football game has been spotted in South Korea, as reported by Gematsu. The Game Rating Administration Committee in Korea has given an all-agers rating to a titled 2K Goal, which is noted to be an applicant uh, that two ta- take two interactive put in. Given the game's title, 2K Goal is almost certainly a Lego football game published by UK. This would finally confirm VGC's exclusive report from earlier in the year, in which they revealed that Lego is partnering with 2K for a few new Lego sports games. We already got one. It was that 2K Drive, which came out last month. Next up, Squanch Games have released the first trailer for the upcoming DLC for High on Life, which is High on Knife. Taking the game to a horror comedy direction, the DLC stars Knifey and Bloodthirsty Melee Weapon, voiced by uh, Michael Cusack. Also introduces a new character, Gun Harper, voiced by Sarah Sherman of SNL. Set two years after the event of the main game, High on Knife will be released on PC and Xbox this fall slash autumn. Next up, Soul Calibur 5 is being permanently removed from digital storefronts next week, Bandai Namco confirmed. On June 19th, it will be taken down. Quote, Valiant Warrior Soul Calibur 5 is taking its final curtain call on the stage of history before being sunset from PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 on June 19th. The base game and all associated DLC will no longer be available for purchase, but you can continue to play it if you already have it downloaded or, or in your queue or log or whatever. And of course, the disc version works as well, but that is uh, pretty shitty. Not fun losing old games. Not a good way to preserve history, baby boy. All right, guys, that is going to do it for all of our news this week. Now, take a big sigh of relief. We're over two hours in, guys. It's been a lot of news, a lot going on. Now we can uh, crack our knuckles and bow out this week with a couple of uh, comments from the audience. Shoutouts, comments, questions, those kinds of things. Mostly everything we got was related to the Xbox Showcase because I think everyone's really just high on that new information. 
But uh, I look forward to your discourse as we move into all the news from this week as well, because there's a lot going on in the world of Xbox. So let's kick it off. You know how it goes. You head on over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast at Xbox on podcast, whatever. Click on the latest episode. Why don't you subscribe, leave a comment, whatever, while you're there. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Got almost 1,100 subscribers. Keep it going, please. Um, leave a comment. Say anything you want. Say something nice like, Jesse, uh, Mountain Dew Livewire sucks and you're a hillbilly. That's why you have no teeth. Or say something mean like, Jesse, you're a hillbilly and I like that you have no teeth. It makes me want to stick my tongue in between your gums and you can mush on them like a baby because you got no teeth like a hillbilly. Weird. You can say it. It's a free country. It's a free world. It's a free internet. I don't know. You say, Whatever. Who gives a shit? Sam Torres writes in. Sam Frito, you changed your name. Sam writes in and says, Hellblade 2 gameplay should have been way better. I don't think Ninja Theory should keep slapping this shit up every showcase. Can Senua die in the and cut this short? Uh, I do. I, I agree that, that Hellblade has consistently had a bad showing and that that was the worst thing they showed. Um, at the showcase was that Hell, Hellblade underwhelming demo. And um, I really hope they're able to finally show combat because if... If the combat isn't the selling point of this game, like they didn't over overhaul and like change up the combat, then what the point? What, what's the point of this game? Why are they making a sequel to Hellblade? Because th- that game really didn't need one, and yet here we are. So I'm in complete agreement with you. Hellblade Two was the worst thing they showed at the showcase, but I am still optimistic and hopeful that it'll be great. All right, a couple of you wrote in on Starfield. Mister Mag writes in. Mister Mister Miggy writes in. Ooh. Mr. Miggy. Starfield is looking like one of the first games to justify the $70 price tag. I'm bummed out about the 60 FPS, though. At least give us an option or something like that unlocks frame rate for those of us with VRR TVs. Damn, this is the perfect talking point for that. I I don't know why I didn't pull this comment earlier. I already said my piece on the matter. Um, I understand why people are upset about it. You know, hopefully you have a nice gaming PC and then you can just play it there because you probably get 60 FPS there. But, uh... I mean, I, I agree or disagree on the $70 price tag thing. I think many games justify the $70 price tag, but no doubt Starfield is a game that's probably going to be worth a lot more than 60 bucks when you think about it's a huge game with tons of see and do. Headhunting Halo writes in and says, I don't think you realize how anti I am for Starfield. I took a week off work. I'm so pumped for uh, that the direct that they showed that it was crazy how much uh, to do all the sides. The customization just looks like a blast. little down that's locked at 30 FPS, but we'll jump to 60 soon, I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of backlogging until then. Long live Bethesda. Hunting Halo, I appreciate the enthusiasm. Damn, took a week off work. That's awesome. That's a good way to spend your vacation days, so respect. Xbox pnl1465 i don't know who this is but thank you for writing in responded to headhunting halo and says it's nice but what really drove me crazy was star wars outlaws people talk about starfield and so on but star wars outlaws has more views i totally get that because the first generation xbox gamers have played og xbox and kotor and then you see this and it's a wet dream for star wars outlaws star wars love lover and then something like star wars outlaws uh, was just beautiful, and then Star Wars Showcase was just good. But Ubisoft was also really sick. I think Ubisoft had a great showing. I don't know what the fuck people are on about saying that that was a bad showing. I thought Ubisoft did great. They kind of re, um, they kind of reset the, the, the stage kind of surrounding Ubisoft. There's been a bad a bad air around their name for a while, and I feel like they kind of nipped that in the butt a little bit with this really stellar showcase. But I think Star Wars Outlaws looks great. I can't find anyone. Who wants to talk in agreement with me on this? Like everyone I brought this up to was just like, "Yeah, it looks whatever." I'm like, "You're fucking nuts, man." I don't, I don't know what people are on about. I, like everyone, I feel like is like, "Oh, it's just Star Wars Far Cry." I'm like, "No, it's not." Like this, I, I mean, actually, well, let me take that back. 
I don't fucking know what I'm talking about. To me, it doesn't look like Star Wars Far Cry, at least. Like, to me, I was like, this is the first Ubisoft game that doesn't look like Watch Dogs and Far Cry and Assassin's Creed and everything all rolled into the same bullshit package. Like, I don't know, this game looks different to me. Like, I'm like, I'm seeing a lot more GTA than I'm seeing freaking, um, than I'm seeing uh, Far Cry in, in this formula. Oh, my phone needs to shut up. Uh, but I don't, I don't know, man. I think Star Wars Outlaws looks freaking great, actually. And I, I say that as someone who always wants to love Star Wars, but almost never does because I just, I don't know. And this is one of those rare Star Wars instances where it's like, I'm hyped about some of Star Wars again. I'm excited to feel that way because God knows Star Wars Jedi does not make me feel that way at all. I played the first Star Wars Jedi and it's impressive that a team as amazing as Respawn were able to pivot and make a game like that. But uh, that game didn't do it for me at all. I, I forgot everything about that game. It was so incredibly unremarkable to me. And then when the second one came out, I was like, I'm so grateful that like, I don't feel any, guilt or any amount of missing out or any kind of like FOMO that I'm not playing Star Wars Jedi survival or survive or whatever it's called. Like, I don't care if I never play a game my entire life. I'll be fucking fine. I don't care. <laughs> like to me, I'm just like, yep, yeah, I played the first one. It was more than enough. You guys can enjoy that game, whatever. But Star Wars Outlaws to me looks fucking badass. It's like gunslinging cowboy open world Star Wars freaking Han Solo type shit. Like, yeah, that that's what we need. I want I will take gunslinging outlaw western cowboy star wars over fucking light sticks i'm force sensitive and i can cry with the force or whatever like luke skywalker i'll i'll take that i'll take the gunslinging shit over that any day times 10 divided by two subtract by four and then multiply by 17 and then add about four or six more like i fuck yeah that's so that's so much cooler to me i don't know star wars is like made for open world i just think this game looks sick but uh, all that non sequitur aside, I mean, the reason Star Wars Outlaws has way more views and way more attention on it, at least, you know, even though we're not talking about it in the Xbox community as much, is because simply it's, it's Star Wars, man. Like, if you're a gamer and you're in the gaming ecosystem and you know about the latest games that are coming to gaming consoles for gamers to consume in the near and gaming distance, like, yeah, of course, we're all talking about Starfield because we all understand Starfield's going to be the next best thing since sliced bread for gaming, right? Okay. But if you're just like Joe Schmo and you're like a fair weather gaming fan, like you own an Xbox or a PlayStation because every once in a blue moon you buy a Call of Duty or you bought a Star Wars game here or there or you might, you might I don't know, you might play fucking God of War if enough people tell you you got to play it. You know, those kinds of people, which is the overwhelming majority of people who own video game consoles, most of those people don't give a flying fuck about Starfield until because it's an unknown quantity. It's an unknown brand new IP. Until Starfield comes out and knocks everyone's socks off and then everyone's talking about it and it's just a you gotta play thing. At that point, Starfield will become something worth the attention. But until then, it's just something that we gamers are going to fester over and be like, eh, oh, Starfield, I can't wait to explore the cosmos with my friends. Like That's, that's like our thing to do right now until it comes out it's like um uh like think about like like elden ring or like skyrim it's like those games nobody gave a shit skyrim's the perfect example nobody gave a shit during the og xbox when morrowind came out it was for fucking nerds it was for people who have pimples you know and then oblivion came out and it was a little bit bigger for sure and more people were accustomed were ingratiated in the world of elder scrolls and it definitely helped get the console gamers into it but you know oblivion was a big game for xbox 360 an important game for xbox 360 but it wasn't the game that like 
the the attractive guy at the at the gas station or the pretty girl at the fucking uh, five below uh, would, would 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 be talking about with her friends on lunch break while she's at Chipotle eating a, a, a burrito bowl or whatever. Like it's not, but 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 Skyrim came out and just had the special sauce and lit the world on fire, and then everyone knows Skyrim now. If they said, "Oh, we're making Elder Scrolls Six, here it is," everybody would be like, "Oh, it's Skyrim too, yay!" Because that's the power of a brand and IP. That's why that's why everything has to be a sequel. Is because brands and IPs and known quantities sell way better than new ideas. But, you know, if Starfield knocks it out of the fucking park, sure, it would be a bigger game and a more important game than something like Star Wars Outlaws, which is probably just going to be, you know, a great game, but just another Star Wars game. Whereas, you know, Star Wars Outlaws, it doesn't have to do as much or be as impressive of a game to get a bajillion views and knock everybody's socks off and get a bunch of chatter and talk and attention from the normies of the world because it's Star Wars. Everyone knows what Star Wars is. Everyone likes Star Wars. Sure, I'll take a Star Wars. Like, everyone, everyone Star Wars is. But until Starfield comes out and proves to the normies why they need to give a shit about Starfield, the only people who care about Starfield are the people who are like, oh, Xbox is going to win because we got Starfield. And the PlayStation fans are like, please sign my petition to make Starfield cancel, please. And like, until then, it's like, we're the only fucking idiots talking amongst ourselves on Twitter about Starfield because... Who the fuck gives a shit about a game that doesn't even exist yet, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. So that, that's all that is. It's just the Star Wars brand just getting attention for being the Star Wars brand. But in the in circle, we know we know, we know Starfield's the special sauce. All right, let's talk about the, the showcase in general because a, a lot of comments were had. Dead Captain James, the first and favorite child, writes in and says, Oh, by the way, Xbox PL, thank you for writing in. I think that's your first time writing in. Thank you. Appreciate it. Dead Captain James 6045. You're not the real Dead Captain James. Anyway, uh, he writes in and says, This is probably my favorite Xbox showing of all time. Thank God for Bethesda. Uh, South of Midnight had a great teaser. It was dripping with charm and aesthetic. I'm very curious to see gameplay as far as I've heard. Just Corden, that is. It's a third-person action game. P.S. Jesse, please stream on YouTube as well. Twitch never notifies me of shit. Okay. I, I, I need to do... Dude, I'll be honest. The reason I stream on Twitch is because purple and black are cool. And white and red are boring. That's really the real reason. I just like the colors and the aesthetic of Twitch. But you're right. I I, I need to, I need to switch to YouTube or do YouTube or something. You're right. It probably makes more sense. That's already where my install base is. My 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 following is is on YouTube. So why wouldn't I just go where the people already are? Listen, Jez Corden tells you about the third person action. Yeah, I remember that report as well. You're you're right. That is. That that's what we're looking forward to, but it's just man, wouldn't you like to see that game in action a little bit? But yeah, I agree. South of Midnight, it was a cool teaser. I think the aesthetic is awesome. The art style is so cool. I really can't wait to see what that game is. I just hope, I just really hope they're able to deliver something that like resonates with me because We Happy Few didn't do anything for me, despite having a cool teaser trailer. But South of Midnight, I want to like this game so bad. But yeah, I like third person action as vague of a genre as that is. So. Let's hope they nail it. Mike Clark writes in and says, "Keep it. Sh I'll keep it short. The show was a solid 9 or 10 for me. Came out, uh, came for Starfield and Fable and stayed for Compulsion and Exile Oblivion. Uh, Oblivion? You mean Obsidian? So hyped for Avowed and Clockwork. Two of my favorite developers hitting on all cylinders. I love seeing Sega slash Atlas goodness and hope we get Shin Megami Tensei series at some point. Shin Megami is pretty Nintendo exclusive series, but maybe... Phil is such a troll. Green heart emoji. Have a green. Have a green. Have a great week. Have a good week. Have a week. Mike, thank you for writing in. Glad, yeah, dude. Glad. It seems like 
Xbox fans were really taking care of this event. That's why they're raising the price on the Xbox is because y'all are happy. And no, I don't mean to differentiate. I'm happy too. I had a great, I had a great time. I'm feeling super high on Xbox right now, and it's a, it's a good feeling. So glad to see you had a good, you enjoyed it. And yes, always happy to see that Japanese support, especially from Sega. Let's go ahead. Let's go buy. Let's go buy Sega. Let's go make Sonic part of the Xbox team. Let's do it, Phil. All right. Our final comment comes from Kronky this week. He says, I think Ubisoft and Xbox both killed it this year. They're going to be pretty hype. I'm going to be pretty hype on them uh, after this. Also, I think Xbox Bethesda's showcase name was canned because of the Redfall. Bethesda just lost their independence. P.S. I kept wanting to uh, be like, this game looks especially good, but I can't because between Avowed Clockwork Revolution and Fable, I can't pick what I'm most excited for. I will say that Starfield moved the needle for me the least. I was excited, uh, and I'm still excited, but this is like a calm excited. I know I love it, but I can wait forever for it. When I saw the Hexen shirt, however, I actually liked squealed and jumped. I didn't know it until I saw it, but apparently I'm more excited about Hexen than I am for Quake or anything else. Phil Spencer will never be forgiven if he leaves me shattered after that. Um, yeah, Phil Spencer says there's no, they're not working on a Hexen game that he didn't know people were going to react like that, There's, but there's nothing in, in the works right now, but he's open to it. But like, we we know that's bullshit, right? Like, that's not, that's not real. That's just bullshit. He's messing with us, so... I don't know, man. Oh, I, I wanted to say the thing about the Fable thing, another thing maybe I needed to add to the corrections. So apparently, like, Fable, like, people who worked on the game are out talking about it, saying, like, I'm glad I, I'm glad people are outraged thinking that the game, that they didn't see gameplay footage because that was all in-engine. That was all, like, actual game running in-engine. But, again, still, uh, it's cute. I'm glad the game looks stunningly beautiful. I expect no less from Playground Games. But... The problem with the Fable trailer, I just got to say this one last time. It's not that, oh, it was or wasn't an engine or these are the graphics. I don't give a shit about the graphics or the engine. I want to know when the camera is fixed behind the player and you're playing moment to moment and you got your HUD on and you're doing this and that and hack and slash, what does that look like extensively? Don't show me a girl knock a guy down for two seconds and then be like, oh, yeah, there's your gameplay. Like that, we didn't really see... The actual game, unless the camera perspective is constantly going to be shifting around other players and to your side and your front and all that and be disorienting you, which would be a terrible decision. Unless that's how the game plays, then what we saw was not legitimate gameplay. So for that reason alone, I just can't be too hyped about what we saw Fable, although I do have a good feeling about Fable. However, um, yeah, I mean, Clockwork Revolution, South of Midnight, Avowed. We got so much good shit on the way, man. It's, it's oh, and let's bring Hexen back. Let's fucking do it. All right, Phil. No, no teasing. Maybe in a year or two, we got a Hexen game to announce. Let's make it happen. Is that what people can fly are working on? Are they working on a Hexen game? I'd rather have Raven do it, but okay. Let's 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 make it happen. But guys, that's gonna do it for our Xbox on podcast this week. Thank you all for listening. Two and a half hours in before I edit it down. We got a lengthy, fat episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, next week we will be back with the normal on top of the news situation because we won't be off on the release schedule. So it feels like we're kind of back in place. We know where the future of Xbox lies. The podcast is back in its groove and uh, I feel good about things. So hope you are too. And, uh, if you're one of the people who are affected by the price increases of the Xbox series X, my heart goes out to you because 
Money is a bitch. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But guys, I hope you all have a great week. If you have the opportunity to do so, please leave a nice review on iTunes or podcast services. It helps me out a bunch because I am, believe it or not, trying to grow this podcast. And I've done a terrible job of doing that as of late because the the audience is incredibly stagnant. In fact, last week, I hoped that the Xbox Showcase would bring a lot of new ears to the podcast. And it it kind of did, but not as much as it has in years past. So I clearly fucked up a little bit with something there. And so I am asking you, the audience, to pick up my mess and to leave me a nice review so we can help new ears find this show. Please and thank you. And until next week, guys, take care. Drink some Mountain Dew. Uh, go for a jog and play your Xbox and pet your cats and all that good stuff. And until next time, power your dreams. <laughs>